Hello, and welcome to the Two Guys, Four Balls podcast. Hello, and welcome to another Two Guys, Four Balls podcast. With me, as always, is Julius. This is Patrick on the mic. Uh, We're doing our Week 7 analysis of the NFL, uh, starting off with Thursday night, New Orleans at Arizona. Um, I'm blowing the whistle early in this in this uh, podcast because I'm blowing it on ESPN and uh, sports writers. So I read an article uh, today that said, Arizona's offense finally wakes up. Pump your brakes. There was two defensive touchdowns scored in this game for Arizona, or their offense scored less than New Orleans. So don't be sitting here, sports writers, telling me that their offense has exploded and has come to life. Did their offense look better than it has? Yes, but you also got DeAndre Hopkins back. So let's not act like there weren't two pick sixes in like a minute span that didn't happen. Um, other than that, uh, New Orleans really shot themselves in the foot in this game. Again, Andy Dalton had two pick sixes. Without those pick sixes, New Orleans wins this game. Lucky for New Orleans... Everyone besides the Panthers lost in their division, so they are still in it. <laughs> so no one in the NFC besides the NFC East wants to win football games. Let's just put it that way. Um, uh, Chris Olave, our guy, Julius, balled out again. Every time he's on the field, he, he's, he's, he's balling. I, I can't ask for him to do anything more in his rookie season than he's done. Um, Absolutely. I had high hopes for MT this year, Michael Thomas, for those of you who don't know. Um mm-hmm. That dude just doesn't look like he's going to get back on the field. I, I don't know what's going on. Um, I know everyone's body's different and like healing and lower leg, like lower body injuries for receiver too. If you can't come back from that, you're not you're not going to be a receiver for long in the NFL. Um, Andy Dalton once again made this offense look better than when Jameis Winston was in. Um, I know Julius and I were very critical of Winston in this offense the first three games that they played because they literally scored points and only three out of 12 quarters, which is terrible. Um, And if it wasn't for a miracle comeback in the fourth quarter against the Falcons, this team would have a very, very bad record. Um, I'm not saying I want Andy Dalton to be the starting quarterback for this team uh, because we all know who Andy Dalton is. I'm just Mm -hmm. saying that if you're asking me who should start next week, if Jameis Winston is still not 100% healthy, it's Andy Dalton. Now, if Jameis Winston is 100% healthy, you start him. You start Jameis Winston if he's 100% healthy. I don't need a 70% Winston in there grimacing after throws, maybe not being as mobile as he could be, you know, because because if Andy Dalton's going to throw two pick sixes, you might as well have Jameis Winston in there. And that's that's not a knock on Andy Dalton. That's not a knock on Jameis Winston. I'm just saying, everyone's biggest thing on Jameis Winston is he doesn't make the right pass. He makes the wrong throws. He's He gives too many turnovers. Well, guess what? Two pick sixes cost you this game. One of those was not Andy Dalton's fault. It hit his receiver right in the face. Went right through his hands. Hit him right in the face. Um, you know, I'm a big proponent of this. I think Julius agrees with me, and we can get his take on it. But I think interceptions, there needs to be like an error, kind of like in baseball. Now, I know that'd be harder for stat guys, but guess what? There's so many stats and analytics out there these days. Someone could do it. Um, quarterback should not be credited with an interception. If a receiver gets two hands on it or it smacks a dude in the face, 
And like, <laughs> I'm just saying, like, how is that the quarterback's fault? If he put the ball where he was supposed to put it, I'm not saying if someone dives for it, Julius, and they make three fingertips on the ball and it pops up in his interception. No, that was a bad pass. I'm saying if this hits the dude right in the chest or it hits the guy and he gets two hands on it and it goes through his hands and it's an interception, that needs to be an error or something just called something other than an interception. It's never going to happen for fantasy purposes, for money purposes. I'm just saying I kind of like baseball where not everything is an earned run against the pitcher if his defense makes a mistake. Like, I like that, right? Like, that's fair to me. Um, Anyway, this was a high-scoring game for Thursday night, so I was happy about that. We didn't have to watch another 9-12, another 9-12 game, so that was great. Um, You know, but uh, DeAndre Hopkins looked healthy, which is great. That's good for him coming out after the suspension for PEDs. Uh, He's a little rusty in in the first half, but I like what they did with the adjustments, kind of giving him some quick slants, quick outs. Uh, some comeback routes, you know, uh, to to kind of get him into the groove of the game. You know, at, at the beginning of the first half, you kind of you kind of saw him and Kyler Murray like looking at each other. Uh, there was one play where DeAndre Hopkins just sitting there shrugging his shoulders at Kyler. <laughs> Kyler doesn't even look at him. So um, definitely a lot of rust. DeAndre Hopkins is too good though not to produce, um, and I think that that's going to be a big thing for Arizona moving forward. Um, again. New Orleans really disappointing in the defense. I know they had some injuries though in the in the in the, in the secondary, which does not help. Ding 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 ding. <laughs> um, especially with Marshawn Lattimore, that that is a huge huge loss for this team. Uh, but you know, New Orleans could have won this game. They, they again they shot themselves in the foot. That's kind of sounds like what we talked about all year with this team. Um, but you know, we'll see moving forward what happens. But Arizona got a much needed win, uh, and their division is wide open right now. Uh, so I'll start off by responding to your point about the the interceptions, and I agree with you 100%. Uh, I've talked about this before. There does need to be an unearned interception stat. And no, it's not too hard for analytics. I mean, we can sit here and watch a play, watch a receiver catch a jump ball, and within 10 seconds, they've got the AWS probability for whether or not the receiver could have caught the ball. So if you can tell me that, oh, on this catch, this guy had a 28% chance to come down with this football, or you can tell me this is the most improbable catch of a certain wide receiver's career, you can tell me whether or not an interception was earned or unearned. And for those who uh, may not fully understand how it works in baseball, uh, yes, if there's a run that was basically the byproduct of a bad defensive play, the run won't count against the pitcher. However, the run will count for the offense. The player who knocked in the run, unless the, the error happened on his hit, is going gonna, is gonna to count as an RBI. So in that sense, you can have an unearned interception that does not go against the quarterback, but also have that interception still go in the defender's uh, favor or go in the team's favor statistically. So it's not like we're saying take away an interception from a guy who benefits from the ball going right through a receiver's hands or off his face or whatever. We're just saying don't blame the quarterback there. So with that said, yeah, they got the ability to do it, and I'm all for um, capturing interceptions more accurately. I've got, I've got plenty of ideas for how to change how stats are kept in football, and that's just one of them. So I wanted to get that response out there. Uh, getting into the Thursday night game, uh, you know, there were two storylines going into the game. One was the lack of touchdowns on Thursday night. That certainly got resolved in this game. And the second, of course, was the return of DeAndre Hopkins. And the NFL, the NFL is funny. 
You know, you suspend Hopkins for six games, and you make sure his seventh game is a nationally televised game on Amazon. I, that's we all see what you're doing, NFL. Uh, but the Cardinals definitely had a plan to. It didn't matter how much Russ Hopkins might have had; he was going to be involved. Uh, Kyler Murray threw 29 passes in this game. DeAndre Hopkins was targeted on 14 out of those 29 passes. So literally almost half the passes went to DeAndre Hopkins the first game back. Some of that might have been the absence of Marquise Brown, but a lot of that was just game plan and this team being ready because we've seen now for a while how this team looks and how this offense looks with Hopkins and without Hopkins. It's, it's really night and day. Uh, we talked about the Cardinals and their struggles uh, early in games. That still happened in this game. They still got held to three points in the first quarter, so still uh, without a first-quarter touchdown. But, of course, the 25-point barrage came in the second quarter uh, on the back of, as as Patrick talked about, the back-to-back pick sixes. One of those pick sixes was from my guy Isaiah Simmons, a guy I really like coming out of college. He caught a lot of flack before the draft for from some people. Certain people on the Internet were talking about how he was a jack-of-all-trades, master-of-none, what position is he going to play, and all this other nonsense. Sometimes you just got to wonder, these guys watch football, do you just see one tweet about a guy and think that that's the, the ground truth on the player? I wasn't worried about where Isaiah Simmons was going to play. All I knew is that when he's on the field, he makes plays. And you got to see some of that in this game. So uh, he, he caught the legit pick six off of Andy Dalton, we'll say. Um, and, of course, Marco Wilson with his uh, meme-friendly pick six uh, really, really helped put this game away. Even though the Saints, you know, tried to make a push, but it's just it's hard to come back from back to back pick sixes literally within a minute or so of each other. Uh, there was a, you know, even with those pick sixes, the one that I thought the interception that I thought hurt the most for the Saints was actually the other interception that Andy Dalton threw. So the Saints had an opportunity. They, they went down the field. They scored right away in this game. But deep pass to Rashid Shahid, who is all of a sudden every time he touches the ball, it's a fifty-yard touchdown. Maybe get him involved in the game plan a little more. But you had a chance early in this game to go up 14-3 if you're the Saints. And Andy Dalton throws an interception in the end zone. He was picked off by Antonio Hamilton. Now, Antonio Hamilton was drafted, or not, not drafted, undrafted back in 2016. But he's a HBCU alumni coming out of South Carolina State. Nice story that he had to wait this long again. Came into the league 2016. 2022 gets his first career interception. So wanted to give him his credit, but that interception to me is what turned the game around. You had the chance to go up two scores against a team that's been a notorious slow starter for most of the year, and you didn't do it. So that was huge to me. It set a tone for the rest of the game. Uh, the one thing I will give Arizona a little credit for is they didn't have Matt Amendola for this game. Thank you. I don't, I don't know how many misses you had to watch. I don't know how many times you had to go for it on fourth down in field goal range before you realized maybe he shouldn't be on an NFL roster. And that said, Rodrigo Blankenship did miss an extra point in this game, so this team still needs Matt Frater back as soon as he can get back. But uh, going back to the Saints, yeah, you talked about defensively just, just too many injuries to overcome in the secondary. Uh, Marshawn Lattimore, you touched on it, huge loss. That's the guy that you would normally love to have matched up against DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, but then outside of uh, Lattimore, you also had Paulson Adebo injured, so he was unavailable for this game, and that's your second corner. Uh, then Bradley Roby went down in this game, and I know I kind of got on Roby last week, deservedly so, for some of his missed tackles that led to big plays, but you're still weaker 
when you're already missing your first two, you don't need an injury to Bradley Roby. So now you're stuck with a rookie, Alante Taylor, who's just got off an of injured reserve. That's who was matched up against Hopkins for the most part. And Hopkins was able to take advantage way more often than not on an injured and inexperienced rookie. So uh, that was kind of how the game played out for me. Uh, you talked about the He was certainly uh, doing his thing there. But, uh, you know, you talked about the Saints still being in it at two and five. And, of course, the Cardinals are still in it at three and four. Because, like you said, nobody seems to want to win these NFC divisions outside of the East. So both these teams are sadly still alive. But um, it's the Cardinals who came away from this game with the thing they needed the most. And that was to get a win and to get their main guy back in the lineup. All right. Next, we'll get into the Cincinnati Bengals, who... Pulled off a 35-17 win over the Atlanta Falcons. This, this, ladies and gentlemen, is the Cincinnati offense I've been waiting to see. This looks like the Cincinnati Bengals I picked to win this division at the beginning of the year. Been waiting a long time, it feels like. But this offense finally looked like the explosive, dangerous, quick-strike offense that I was waiting to see. This team jumped on Atlanta from the get-go. Tyler Boyd, who, who's the forgotten guy on this team, right? When you talk about the Bengals, it's automatically talking about Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase and T. Higgins and how they might be the best wide receiver duo in football. You got Joe Mixon in the backfield. It just seems like Tyler Boyd gets lost in a wash. And every now and then, it feels like the Bengals make sure to kind of remind you, yeah, no, he's actually pretty good too. Tyler Boyd had over 100 yards in the first quarter. <laughs> that that's a, that's a way to put the other team in the ground early and the Bengals did that you know some of these other teams that have blown big leads they this is what you do you would jump on a team and you don't get off and you make sure that once you get that seven nothing lead get that ball back make it 14 nothing get that ball back make it 21 nothing this is what you're supposed to do when a team is looking like they're reeling instead of you know providing them a life mind no no you, you put them away so this was impressive for me to see from the Bengals. They took advantage of a depleted secondary as well. I will say I came into this game anticipating the rematch. And by the rematch, I mean Jamar Chase versus A.J. Terrell. Going back to their matchup in the Collegiate National Championship a couple of years ago. Jamar Chase single-handedly ruined A.J. Terrell's draft stock for a while. I was glad that A.J. Terrell remained in the first round, but A.J. Terrell was looked at as a clear top 10, 15 prospect. Then he got destroyed in the national championship by Jamar Chase. And all of a sudden, people were thinking, oh, is A.J. Terrell really that good? So I wanted to see if Terrell could get his kind of revenge in this game. Unfortunately, Terrell went out of this game early with an injury. Casey Hayward Jr. already was put on injured reserve before this game. So now you got to face these Bengals weapons without your top couple of corners. And that's just way too much to ask. So uh, another game where a depleted secondary cost the team badly. And with that said, you know, I've talked about Atlanta and how they've stayed true to this identity they have now, which is just we're ground and pound, ground and pound, ground and pound. In this game, they stay too true to that. At some point, when you're behind three scores for the majority of the game, 
the Bengals last scored this game with five minutes to go in the third quarter. So the, the Falcons spent a lot of time down 18 in this game. Marcus Mariota attempted 13 passes. He, he, he didn't get injured. He didn't miss a couple of series. He didn't go take a DK Metcalf dump in the middle of the game. They just refused to try to throw the ball to get back in this game. That was one thing when you're the Falcons and you're leading the whole game. If you're playing from ahead and your philosophy is run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, I understand. But at some point when you're behind multiple scores, where is the urgency? It's not like they have a big play presence in the backfield, certainly not without Cordell Patterson. So these three or four yards in a cloud of dust runners aren't going to get you back in the game when you're down 18 or 21 points. Marcus Mariota has attempted 27 total passes in the last two games. If that's what you're going to do, why did you draft Drake London? Or even Kyle Pitts the year before? If you're just going to tell them to block, you could get guys in the seventh round who can line up a receiver and tight end and just block. I understand that with Mariota, you don't have a franchise quarterback right now. But you have a quarterback who's been at least somewhat, for the most part, efficient in these games. At some point, you got to take the reins off and say, you can throw the ball 25 times in a game, especially when we're losing. So I had a major problem with the fact that Atlanta really made no real effort to come back in this game. But I'm encouraged by what I saw from the Bengals. I'm not ready to say, oh, yeah, they're a lock to win the division now. But I certainly feel better about that pick than I did five minutes after they lost to the Ravens. So we'll see if they can keep this up. But this is the Joe Burrow that folks were waiting for as far as a breakout kind of game. And with this offense, if they keep running offense like this or anything close to it, the Bengals become a dangerous team. I'm not impressed with the Bengals beating the Falcons and Joe Burrow throwing for 481 when the entire secondary was out for Atlanta. Uh, their defense isn't that good to begin with. I mean, they've been playing a lot better this year than people thought they would. Uh, I credit that to the secondary, and then their secondary was completely injured in this game. Um, you could tell that by when Jamar Chase ran an out route, caught it at the sideline, about to run out of bounds, then somehow was able to cut it back inside and run it 45 yards for a touchdown without even being touched. He didn't even get touched. Um, it's terrible angles all day. No one was covering anybody. Tyler Boyd went off. Um, I still think Joe Mixon and their inability to run the ball is is concerning to me. They didn't have to do it in this game because, like you said, they got such an early lead. Um, I was very perplexed and shocked that Mariota didn't even get a chance to throw it more because Eli Apple is barbecue chicken every single day. Uh, for instance, he gave up like a 75-yard touchdown that made it feel like Atlanta could get back in this game. They they didn't. But I'm just saying, it, it just doesn't make sense to me because there were opportunities for the passing game in, in this game. So um, I understand Atlanta's trying to have an identity, as you've talked about, and, and prove this is how they can win. But and you want to give your defense some rest and all that great stuff, but it just the game plan made no sense to me once you were down by 17. Um, I, I mean, Joe Burrow throwing for almost 500 yards is impressive, but as Julius likes to say, passing yards is one of the most overrated stats in all of football because yep. I'm going to say 300 of those yards were all yak. So I don't, I don't, I don't know how. Um, again, a lot of poor tackling. 
I don't want to take anything away from Cincinnati. Um, I didn't pick them to win the division, and I'm not a huge, huge Joe Burrow fan, so I don't want to be biased. They definitely had a good game, but again, it was against weaker competition, especially with that secondary being injured. And, um, you know, the games that they've played against good competition, they've, they've lost. So um, I, want to see it, I want to see it against a more strong just defense and offensive unit, right? Like we want to see teams beat good teams, right? Again, I say this every week. You got to play the schedule. You got to beat who's in front of you. And they did that. They beat them very handedly, and that's great. But they've lost to the Ravens. They lost to the Cowboys with Cooper Rush, not even with Dak. So, you know, some concerning losses there against some of the teams that if you want to make another Super Bowl run or if you want to make another playoff run, you're going to have to beat these teams eventually. Um, yeah, but Joe Burrow looked good. Uh, I didn't hear anyone complain about the offensive line this game. It looks like that offensive line is finally starting to gel together after a few weeks, which we talked about, you know, week one, two, three podcast. You know, um, I didn't. I didn't say the offensive line sucks. I just said they spent all this money on the offensive line, but they never played together. So you got to let them kind of build build it, learn how everyone plays, and, and they'll be fine. Uh, Joe Burrow is also getting the ball out a lot quicker the last few weeks, and that has helped his game out. Instead of sitting there waiting for Jamar Chase to be able to get open on a 15-second route, you're not going to win too many games doing that. So I, I don't know if they've made any adjustments in the routes or anything because Tyler Boyd – got open on a bunch of slant routes in this game, and they were getting the ball out fast. And that and that and that's what Joe Burrow needs to do. You know, No quarterback can sit back in the pocket for 20 seconds and, and look good, So no matter how good your offensive line is. Um, so definitely a big win for Cincinnati just to keep up with Baltimore. Um, but you know, I want to see them do it against teams that they're not supposed to beat, or, or, or at least you know, that's supposed to be equal competition. And then we'll see if Joe Burrow and, and this offense is back because – I'm not a big Zach Taylor fan. I don't know if I can trust his play calling, um, but hopefully it is because if Joe Burrow and the Bengals are good, that's more fun for the league, you know, and that, and that makes more exciting games. All right, so moving on, we're going to Detroit at Dallas, and, um, you know, D- Detroit was coming off of a bye week, and they kept this thing competitive for a l- much longer than I thought they would, um, but then Dallas eventually just put them away. Um, Dak looked rusty coming back. Um, I don't know anyone who thought he was going to come out and throw for 500 yards. You're dumb because, again, you just can't come off of an injury, especially the kind of injury he came off of where you can't really throw because it's on your throwing hand. Um, And so he looked rusty, but he did what he needed to do, and this is how they were winning when Cooper Rush was the quarterback. So this is what you need. Get in against an inferior opponent. Get some reps to be able to play better whenever you have to go against somebody good. Um, You know... Tony Pollard still just looks explosive. Uh, Zeke had a had an okay game. Zeke and Pollard, I'm glad they're starting. I'm glad Dallas is finally starting to use them how I feel like they should be using them. I don't, I'm not saying Pollard needs to get 20 carries a game, but they're starting to use Zeke as like the bruiser type back, where it's like, all right, we need two yards, put in Zeke. All right, we want to wear down the defensive front, put in Zeke. And then Pollard comes in and gives you that quick twitch, you know, uh, like powerful one-cut, running um and and that's what that's what's good to see uh the defense is amazing um michael parsons made a hell of a play i don't know if you guys saw this he ran past the screen all the way back to jared goff the tight end catches the screen looks like he's going in for a touchdown parsons was able to stop change complete direction catch up and hawk down the tight end 
which one saved a touchdown because then they fumbled on the very next play. Um, it was just a hell of a play. That's the type of that, that's the that's championship plays right there where you don't give up on a play because you ran in, realize it's a screen. A lot of linebackers and, and DNs would have just stopped and looked at it. He literally stopped, was like, "Oh, it's a screen. Let me turn around and run full speed and hawk this guy down." Because no one was touching that tight end. Parsons saved that touchdown. Just that guy does something every week that amazes me. Um, like this defense is legit. Um, even if the offense isn't good, even if I know people are going to be upset if Dak doesn't throw for 500 yards every game, but even if this offense isn't good, this defense can win you championships. I've seen defenses like this get Trent Trent Dilfer a, a Super Bowl. So, um, you know, it. I'm not saying they're the 2000 Ravens defense. I don't want to say that, but I'm just saying good defenses have gotten bad quarterback Super Bowls. So I don't think Dak is a bad quarterback. I'm just saying that defenses that play this well, especially in the league today, which is more geared to the offense, they could win a Super Bowl. As for Detroit, Dan Campbell, the whistle has been blown on you. Every week I feel like there's certain calls, certain plays that that just happen, that are just mind-boggling, that... I don't feel like you're making adjustments to the game. Even if your tight end didn't get the touchdown, I feel like you should have challenged that play. At least to, you know, get reset, take a timeout, get some get take a breath because the very next play you fumble, you lose all your momentum. The game was essentially over from that fumble. Um and we talk about, you know, we talked about Jacksonville how we feel like we thought they were turning the corner and they just keep losing. It's like Detroit now. I think they have four losses in a row, Julius, and it's just you all. You always feel like they're in the game, and then they just do something that that they're not in the game anymore. You know, it's just it's just you gotta start winning some of these games if you want to turn an organization around. You know, it, all the hyping, all the talking, all that's great, but you gotta start putting results on the field eventually. So yeah, we talked about teams being disadvantaged uh, due to injury in the first couple of games. So we talked about how shorthanded the Saints were in the secondary and how we kind of need to still see more from the Cardinals. I talked about how the Falcons were so shorthanded in the secondary, and that means you need to see more from the Bengals. Well, the Cowboys defensively had an extreme advantage over Detroit. In this game, when you talk about the absence of DeAndre Swift, coupled with Amon Ross St. Brown leaving this game early, so this was another game where it was just no contest on one side of the ball versus the other because you have your strength against a team who is depleted at what would match up to your strength. So you take Amon Ross St. Brown away, you take DeAndre Swift away, and you get this from the Detroit Lions. Now, Detroit, going back a few weeks, it wasn't that long ago. You go back to the end of week four, Detroit was the top-scoring offense in football. They were moving the ball everywhere. Jared Goff was looking great. I'm like, all right, maybe finally something started going off with Jared Goff, and now we're seeing, you know, maybe not living up to the number one overall pick, but we're seeing progress finally, maybe a little bit of a late bloomer type of situation. Uh, Jared Goff's last two games, now granted against New England and Dallas, both on the road, but last two games, zero total touchdowns, six total turnovers. This is the Jared Goff that forced the Rams to make the trade for Matthew Stafford. 
We don't want to see this Jared Goff anymore. Even with the team being shorthanded, being shorthanded is going to hurt you in the scoring column because, again, quarterback is an extremely dependent position. It's not the most important position. That said, you know, you might not be able to control whether or not your guys are able to make big plays, but you can control to a large degree being able to protect the football. You can't have six turnovers with no touchdowns. You can't do that as the quarterback and expect to beat or compete with anybody. Now, that said, Dan Campbell should have challenged when Brock Wright looked like he might have scored. That should have been a challenge because of how badly your offense has been struggling. If this was the team that was still putting up 30 points, 40 points a game a few weeks ago, I'd understand it. I'd say, you know what? That offense is rolling. They don't need a, a charity touchdown. This offense needs a charity touchdown right now. So you challenge and just hope for the best <laughs> because you need points however you can get them these days if you're Detroit. And it's just it's just typical Lions. And, you know, we talked earlier in the year about the, how the Lions been showing fight. They've been competitive in these games. These last couple of games, you've been the typical Lions. It, it, it's just too typical for this team to not challenge a touchdown. Then the next play, Jamal Williams, who had never lost a fumble in his career, fumbles at the one-yard line. At that point, you got to remember, at that point, when Jamal Williams fumbled at the one, if he scores on that play, Detroit takes the lead. That's, that's where we were. This was the fourth quarter, early in the fourth quarter, Detroit with a chance to take the lead in this game. And you fumble at the one. It's just, it's just too many times over the last, I don't know, 30 years at least, that we've seen that kind of stuff happen to the Detroit Lions. It's, it's just a shame to see. Uh, as for the Cowboys, I actually thought Dak Prescott looked pretty solid. Was he spectacular? No. Did the Lions do anything to make him have to be spectacular? No. It is funny to me that, you know, you see certain guys step up with the backups and then step down <laughs> when the starters are back. And Noah Brown was kind of that guy in this game. So Noah Brown looked like the number one receiver on his team at times with Cooper Rush. I mean, he was making all kinds of contested catches, sticky hands, run after catch. Noah Brown was doing it all. In this game... Dak Prescott early in the game tries to go to Noah Brown, and I even said, you know, maybe when Dak Prescott comes back, give Noah Brown more of a chance. First pass, Brown gets his hands on this game, drop. Later in the game, Noah Brown, granted, he got flipped up in the air, so I can't blame him too much, but he fumbles inside the five to kill a Cowboy scoring drive, and it's just like, this stuff doesn't happen <laughs> to Noah Brown when Cooper rushes in the game, so it's just funny to see how you know those players can change oh you know just the backups in i gotta step my game up or the starters in maybe you relax some and you know don't play the same ball you watch to play with the backups the other thing i gotta say going back to jared golf and this is not just a jared golf thing but jared golf is the latest to do it i don't understand these 50 50 or less balls thrown and it seems to happen every week at trayvon diggs when he's not on your best receiver. I just, I just don't understand why you do it. How, how many of these interceptions does Trayvon Diggs have to come away with before you decide, you know what, maybe I don't want to throw a blind Hail Mary to Josh Reynolds with Trayvon Diggs over there. It's one thing, if, if you're throwing that same pass to Amon Ross St. Brown, it's not going to get intercepted most likely. 
But you can't sit there and act like Josh Reynolds is Calvin Johnson. Do not throw 50-50 balls over the Trayvon Diggs side with your third or fourth wide receiver. And I just keep seeing this week after week, and teams keep paying for it. Don't do it. If you want to challenge them with your start with your starting receiver, with your best receiver, fine. If you want to challenge on something that takes advantage of his aggression, fine. Give him a double move or something. But a straight go route with somebody who does not have blazing speed and somebody who is not one of your best receivers, why? <laughs> Stop doing that. Ezekiel Elliott, I give him a little credit. He actually hurdled somebody in this game. It didn't look like a hurdle from five years ago, but it's better than what I've seen from him lately. So that lets me know there's still a little bit of life in those legs. Once again, he's still not looking quite as efficient as Tony Pollard, but you know, I wanted to give Ezekiel Elliott that shout-out because certain people will say that I've been a little too critical of him lately. So I give him a little credit there. But all in all, the Cowboys offense did what it had to do, which was not that much. Cowboys defense took advantage and got their domination in. You talked about the Parsons hustle play. That was fantastic. And, um, yeah, this game, unfortunately, went the way that it looked like it was going to go on paper. And uh, when you look forward a little bit, the Cowboys have another struggling offense coming in next week with the Bears. So you can expect more of the same as far as I'm concerned. Uh, the Lions have a game against the Dolphins. You're probably going to expect more of the same from them next week as well. All right, next we'll get into the Tennessee Titans, who pull off a 19-10 win over the Indianapolis Colts uh, to complete an early season sweep of the Colts, uh, which puts the Colts in a pretty perilous position, even though they're still right there record-wise. But, you know, well, what do you say about this Colts team? I mean, again, this is the team, the first couple games of the season, I talked about this team, in my opinion, being the most disappointing team in the league. Uh, then they come back and have a few decent performances, and I'm thinking, okay, maybe, maybe, and they had decent performances even without Jonathan Taylor. So I'm thinking, all right, we might have something going if they can get everybody healthy. Keep in mind, Michael Pittman's missed a game, Alec Pierce's missed time. But this is Colts team just has not been able to get right, and in this game, you saw it. Uh, this was a very slow starting game offensively. <clears throat> and then finally, Matt Ryan broke the ice with a pick six. And you just, you can't do it in a game where neither offense can do anything. You can't help the defense score. Three nothing was more than enough of a deficit for the Colts to try to climb out of, given how their offense looked. And Matt Ryan threw a panic pick six. Let's just call it what it was. He was under pressure and just let the ball go blindly. Look at the replay. The receivers weren't even looking back for the ball. They were still running their routes. So that, that's on the quarterback. And Matt Ryan been around too long to do that. <clears throat> Matt Ryan threw a panic interception later in the game as well. And, you know, I said starting all the way back to when we were doing our season preview, Matt Ryan was brought in not because he's more talented than Carson Wentz, because he's absolutely not. Matt Ryan was brought in to not make the mistakes Carson Wentz made last year. That's the reason Matt Ryan was brought in. And Matt Ryan responds to that challenge of just don't make the mistakes. That's all we're asking. Matt Ryan responds to that by in seven games, he threw nine interceptions and fumbled 11 times, losing three of them. That's worse than what Carson Wentz was doing mistake-wise. So there's no surprise when we get in today and the Colts say, you know what? We're making a change at quarterback. Even though we don't know what we've got in this Sam Ellinger, we've got to do something to try to right this ship. Now, the one thing I will say is I thought the Colts could have played this a little better from a PR perspective. 
Because Matt Ryan did hurt his shoulder in this game. And I don't know how much that affected him. I don't know when it happened exactly. But I felt like the Colts' best move was to say, you know what? Matt Ryan has an injured shoulder. He's out indefinitely. Sam Ellinger will fill in. Because that does two things. One, it doesn't throw Matt Ryan under the bus, even though his performance might deserve it. And two, just in case Sam Ellinger proves to be a bum, you could go back to Matt Ryan without it being a benching situation and just say, oh, Matt Ryan's healthy now. We're good. We're good. So I don't like that the Colts back themselves themselves into this Sam Ellinger corner. I wouldn't have done that. But I understand why they're making this move because Matt Ryan is not delivering on the one thing they asked him to do, and that's not turn the ball over with this running game and this defense in place. As for the Titans, again, we talked about it with the Falcons. The Titans are just so into this run game identity. And to some degree, I respect it, but I'm starting to get a little concerned. I talked about before Tennessee's bye week how Derrick Henry was just having massive workload after massive workload. The bye week came right on time for him, but coming out of the bye, you almost had a feeling yeah, they're going to pound him into the ground. And sure enough, Derrick Henry touches the ball 33 times in this game. Derrick Henry only had four fewer rushing yards than Ryan Tannehill had passing yards in this game. And that's with Derrick Henry, outside of a couple big runs, not being all that efficient. Not to his fault. That Titans offensive line is, is very hot and cold with their run blocking these days. But I just don't know. For a guy who got hurt halfway through last season, for the first time, basically, I don't know how much longer Derrick Henry can handle literally having to carry this offense, literally touching the ball 25 to 30, or now this time over 30 times in the game. I don't know how sustainable this is, not even for somebody who looks as indestructible as Derrick Henry. So I'm concerned about the sustainability of what the Titans are doing. And Derrick Henry had to do all this just to get the Titans to score 12 points on offense. They scored 19 in the game, but that includes a pick six. If you got to do all this just to get in field goal range, what are you going to do against better teams? So I'm concerned about Tennessee and their sustainability of this offense. And Tennessee's just fortunate they're in a division where the second-best team plays like the way the Colts did yesterday, and you already have that sweep in your back pocket. I am blowing the whistle on the Titans because for some reason, the one time they decide to switch it up and not hand the ball off to Derrick Henry, they decide to try a jet sweep where Tannehill hands it off to Malik Willis. Newsflash, Malik Willis is not a running back. Now, I know there's plenty of jokes out there probably that say he is, but he's not. He's not used to taking handoffs. So why would you have him not just take a handoff, but take a handoff where he's running full speed to try to receive the handoff? And guess what happens when you run that play? Shockingly, you fumble and you lose the ball. Whoever called that play, never call it again. That said, congratulations to the Titans for one thing. They scored in the fourth quarter for the first time all season. Good job, Titans. You're probably, we'll see what you got. The one thing I can say about Ellinger, he can run. And he's, he's a physical runner. He's going to run at people. We'll see how long that lasts. But I guess they want a quarterback who can move because Matt Ryan sure can't. We'll see if it does anything for the Colts. My expectations, fairly low. So two of my least favorite teams played in this game. Um, Tennessee is somehow 4-2. and two. And let me just break this 4-2 and two team down for you. Two of those wins are against Indianapolis. So, 
Let me put the, let me put Indianapolis season perspective for you. They're one three and one against their own division. They split the season series, which is also weird scheduling by the NFL. They've already played two full season series in their division. Why? Why have you played four of your first seven games against your division? It makes no sense. But anyway, uh, so they're one three and one. Actually, five because they played. They played the tech, they've five of their first seven games are division games. What in the world is the NFL thinking? I don't get it. Anyway, they're the way. They're one. <laughs> well, you always have one for week eighteen now. So or week seven, week eighteen. So. Again, right, it doesn't right. make any sense. But anyway, so they tied the Texans, they beat the Jaguars, <laughs> they've lost to the Jaguars, and they've lost twice to the Titans. If they just split, if they just split with the Titans, the Titans would be three and three. If they just beat the Titans, the Titans would be two and four. The Titans are not a good team. But guess what? No one in the AFC South is. So Titans might win their sixth division or fifth or whatever it is in a row, just because they're the best of the worst. It's. I don't have anything nice to say about any of the teams in this game. I don't want to sit here and break down this game. This game was terrible. Matt Ryan is getting benched, as you said, for some dude who's not proven. Nick Foles is going to be the backup. It's it's insane. I don't know what's happening in Indianapolis. Um, as you said, terrible. Blow the whistle on the PR team or the coaches or the owner. for the. I don't know if they're just trying to save face, but guess what? You came out. Talked about how Carson Wentz was the problem in Indianapolis. So you brought in Matt Ryan. Now you suck again. And now you're trying to blame... Now you're trying to throw Matt Ryan under the bus, which, again, he does have 20 turnovers or 9 picks, 11 fumbles. I don't know if they're all lost, but he still fumbled the ball 11 times. Mm -hmm. So 20 potential turnovers for that man. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um and now you guys are trying to save face by saying it's Matt Ryan's fault. We're going to bring in this rookie kid. Cause now if, if Ellen, well, he's not rookie, but if Ellinger comes in and sucks, no one expects anything from him. So now you can just be like, Oh, it was a wash. We had Ellinger in that quarterback. Y'all are trying to save face. You're not smart. I'm blowing the whistle on y'all. And the PR team, like you said, could have easily just come out and been like, Matt Ryan's hurt. That's why this guy's starting. But no, they purposely went out of their way to go. Even if he was healthy, we would be benching his ass. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. reap what you sow, Colts. Frank Wright, you're back on my hot seat. I said you'd be fired this year. It's definitely <laughs> going to happen. Um, again, I'm with you. Titans are running Derrick Henry into the ground for two reasons. They f- made his contract. This is his last year. They gave him all of his yep. money up front. He has not signed through next year at all. They don't care about this man. I have a lot to say about the NFL and teams not caring about their employees, a.k.a. players. Um, I have very strong feelings about that, and I, I don't think the NFL cares about their people at all. I think they just think they can just throw in somebody and people will still watch. Um, that's not true. I think you need to protect your high-profile players like a Derrick Henry. Uh, the Titans do not care because, again, he's not under contract next year. Um, so they do not care if they run this man to the ground and he can't play football next year. They really don't, and I think that's sad. I think that needs to be explored a little bit, but, um, but yeah, Titans won 19 to 10. This game was terrible. That's all I gotta say about the AFC South. Moving on to the second team in the NFC beast is the Green Bay Packers at the Washington Commanders. Somehow, some way, the Commanders come out with a 23-21 win, and I'm saying it now: Aaron Rodgers needs to retire. 
Terrible. That man should just take his jersey off and not play next week. Um, Taylor Heineke had more passing yards than Aaron Rodgers. Going into the fourth quarter, Aaron Rodgers had 76 yards passing. Don't think I'd ever say that in my lifetime. Never would have thought that in a million years. If you told me that going into this game, if you told me the Commanders were going to win this game, I probably would have laughed at you. Uh, but they've randomly always played Green Bay tough in Washington for some reason. Um, but to tell me Aaron Rodgers would only not would have less than 100 yards going into the fourth quarter of any game, I would have I would have laughed at you. Um, this is one of those examples where a team just rallies behind a guy, right? You got Carson Wentz out there, Curtis Samuel's dropping balls that are hitting him right in the hands. That could have been a touchdown against Chicago on Thursday night. You got other guys that aren't getting open on routes and all this other stuff. And then you get Heineke that comes in. He's getting blitzed. He's getting hit in the face. He's just throwing up 50-50 balls. And McLaurin's coming down with them. You got Curtis Samuel coming down with them. You got the tight end coming down with them. So um, it's just one of those games where you can see when someone comes in, the energy is just picked up. And it's just... And it's just, you, it's just, it's weird that that happens around certain guys. You can tell that the team likes Heineke, right? Um, mm-hmm. Yep. I don't think he's a good quarterback. I'm not going to sit here and say, and no one's ever going to hear me. Last year proved enough for me that he's not a starting quarterback in the NFL. Should have proved right. it. Should have proved it to Commanders fans. Should have proved it to everybody around the league. There's a reason why they went out and got Carson Wentz because they thought that he would help the team more than Heineke. I think, honestly, Green Bay is just not as good as we thought they were. I think Green Bay is proving they're just not a good team. Which is shocking. I thought the defense and run game would carry this team. And they're doing none of that. When the defense needed to get a stop, Taylor Heineke just said, alright, McLaurin, beat Jair Alexander one-on-one. And he did it. He did it. In the fourth quarter. When they needed to get third down conversions. The best corner on that team was getting beat by Terry McLaurin. Um, Antonio Gibson, yeah. Antonio Gibson looks good. Um, they're finally using him how they should have used him to begin with. He's not a number one running back. He shouldn't be used as a running back. Shocker. He was a wide receiver in college. Um, but I, I love using him as a change of pace back. I love using him as a wide receiver. I love using him in receiving sets. Um, I love all that and that's how they should use him. Brian Robinson Jr. looks like the steal of the draft for this team. Um, yeah, I like I like everything that the Commanders' offense did this this week. Again, they only put up twenty three points, so it's not like they went out here and blew Green Bay out. But Aaron Rodgers just—I really have—I don't know what to say about about Green Bay. I don't know if I put it on the coach. I don't know if I put on Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers wanted all the money, said they didn't need Devontae Adams, because obviously you know taking that contract, you're not going to be able to re-sign Devontae Adams. Um, which I'm not mad at anybody getting their money. Go get your money. You know, you deserve it. But I, I really, Julius, I'm at a loss for words for this offense. Uh, and the defense, the defense really is surprising me. I thought that that would be the strongest part of this team, and they are not playing up to what I thought that, that, that this defense would be. Honestly, you know, I'll start with the commanders first. And the more I see Taylor Heineke, the more I start to get a feeling that he is just like another Jimmy Garoppolo. And I say that because when you watch these guys play, uh, Taylor Heineke, uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, they're mistake prone guys. 
they do things to put themselves in position to fail or to lose. And yet somehow, some way, it seems like everything else around them does all it can to help them win. Muff and it's, <laughs> it's inexplicable. It's, it's a couple of cases where it, it really, truly is better to be lucky than good sometimes. And I say that because we sat here in this game. You know, we just talked about the first game we, we discussed. Andy Dalton throws the back-to-back pick six. One was a bad luck pick six. And, you know, that, that's what happens when you're, when you're a, a bad luck quarterback, right? When you're Andy Dalton, people don't like you and people don't think much of you. You, you get the bad luck pick sixes. When you're the popular guy and you're the scrappy guy and you're the guy who doesn't really belong, but you're a motivational story, it doesn't work out that way. So Taylor Heineke comes in, throws a pick six. Devondre Campbell runs it back for a touchdown. Taylor Heineke comes back, fumbles, and has it returned for a touchdown. Okay, so there's your back-to-back defensive touchdowns. The same way that put the Saints away, it should have put the Commanders away. But instead, because Taylor Heineke's got a four-leaf clover in his heart or something, I don't know, that, that play gets called back because of an illegal contact call that happened on the other side of the field that had nothing to do with the play. And it's the kind of thing, if that same exact play happens to Carson Wentz, I promise you that penalty wouldn't have been called. <laughs> it's, just, it's just amazing how that stuff happens. And certain quarterbacks just get away with stuff they aren't supposed to do and somehow, some way, come out of playing poorly and smell like roses. That was Taylor Heineke. Now, I will give Heineke credit because the touchdown pass he threw to McLaurin was perfect. I got to give him that. And the thing with Heineke is, Every game, he seems to give you that one big run or that one big throw that makes you think he's a starting quarterback, a starting caliber quarterback. He's not, but he just gives you, if you just take out his best one or two plays from every game, all of a sudden you think you really have something there. So it's just just interesting to see that dynamic with Taylor Heineke, but I got to give him that pass. That pass to McLaurin was perfect. If you're going to go at Jair Alexander, and Terry McLaurin did not have a lot of separation. He had a little bit, not a lot. That pass had to be perfect, and Heineke was on the money with it. It just seems like when you don't pay for your mistakes, the way Heineke didn't have to in this game, outside of the pick six, eventually give him enough chances to keep hanging in there. This is a game that Green Bay should have put away long ago because they didn't. You give Heineke enough chances, he comes through finally with one of them with that touchdown to McLaurin. Now to get into the Packers. This should not be a bad team. But every week, I have to cite the same thing. Because this team, and I'm talking about the coaching staff right now, does not learn its lesson. No team in football over the last three weeks has run the ball less than the Green Bay Packers. Now, you know you got rid of Devontae Adams. You made that move. You traded him away. It's not like he just ditched you. You decided you didn't need him. This team has rookie wide receivers who aren't quite ready and has been wide receivers who aren't going to do much. On top of that, they're dealing with injuries at the receiver position. This team is built to run the football. If they had Atlanta's coaches, 
if they had Tennessee's coaches, the Packers would probably be six and one right now. They will not accept their identity for whatever reason. There should never be a game where Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon, especially the game you lost by two points. That means this is a close game the whole time. Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon combined to run the ball 12 times. That is inexcusable. To put that in context, the New York Giants yesterday ran the ball 15 times. If you don't count Saquon Barkley, why this team will not accept their fate, their destiny, their identity, this team will not run the football is beyond me. Money. It, Aaron Rodgers, money. <laughs> losing is getting real expensive. <laughs> <laughs> if, you, if you want to tie this all to money, that's what it's going to come down to. Aaron Rodgers is not going to be an MVP in this offense. Sorry. He's not going to be an MVP having to throw to the people he's throwing to. And you knew that going into the season. You, your best players on offense, you and I talked about this. If the Green Bay Packers were going to be successful, it was going to be because Jones and Dylan ran for 2,000-plus yards combined. You're not even giving them the ball. And you wonder why you have a losing record. You wonder why you can't beat a team like the Commanders. You wonder why the Jets can come into your place and stomp you. You don't run the ball. We don't know how many third downs the Packers converted in this game. None. This this is the Packers we're talking about. This is Aaron Rodgers we're talking about. No third down conversions. Cannot keep drives alive. This is three weeks now where Aaron Rodgers has failed to outplay Daniel Jones, Zach Wilson, and now Taylor Heineken. When do you accept that this is not the offense from 10 years ago, from five years ago, or even from last year? This is the ultimate, you can't make other players better. I don't care if you're Aaron Rodgers. You can't take these guys and make them Devontae Adams. And since you can't, run the ball. Run the ball and play defense. Run the ball, in my best Richard Sherman voice. All right, next we'll get into what was an absolute stunner for me. The Carolina Panthers dismissively beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers 21-3. to I said three. 21-3. to I, I just would have never thought, and I have openly said and openly been called a hater for saying it. Last year, I saw a decline in Tom Brady. Saw a guy that wasn't making all the throws. I just saw a guy who was throwing the ball a lot. That's why he had all the stats he had last year. Just threw the ball a lot. But you can see missed throws. You can see late throws. You can see the, the accuracy start to go away. He's 45 years old, people. <laughs> it's going to happen sooner or later. He's playing well for a 45-year-old, but that's not a compliment. And you get this type of game when you have a 45-year-old quarterback who's starting to look like he's 45. And I mean just look on the field like he's 45. Now, this game, of course, started with Tom Brady throwing a perfect pass to a wide-open Mike Evans who used Dante Jackson as a speed bump to get open behind the defense. Mike Evans drops that ball. I feel like in the past, Tom Brady would have 
put that away and said, you know what? Now I'm really pissed off. Now I'm going to drop 50 because I'm mad at my game. This version of Tom Brady just doesn't have it. This version of Tom Brady can't overcome one crucial mistake by his team. And that's where we are with, with the Buccaneers right now. Now, I talked about the quarterbacks who have recently outperformed Aaron Rodgers, and Tom Brady's having the same thing. If we're being honest, you know, you got to get over the names sometimes and look at how they're playing right now. Tom Brady has been outperformed by Mitch Trubisky and P.J. Walker over the last two weeks. That's just reality. And it ain't like those guys played great ball. They just played better than Brady, which, again, ain't saying much. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and I've talked a lot about the Cardinals this year and their slow starts. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers have zero first quarter touchdowns this year. And one that Mike Evans dropped would have been their first. But this is a team that's starting off slow. This is a team that's having to rely on defense, having to rely on the other team not being able to score, and having to scrap just to put something together to try to win games late. It's going to continue to get tougher and tougher to do. Especially now, you're dealing with Antoine Winfield Jr. Again, playing that most important position. He got a concussion in this game. Your next game is on Thursday. In this post-Tua age of concussion protocol, Antoine Winfield Jr. ain't getting cleared by Thursday. So now you're down one of your most important players in a game you need against Baltimore on Thursday. So I just don't see it getting much better in the short term. Tom Brady still has weapons. Mike Evans, that drop aside, Mike Evans is still pretty good. Good enough for referees to be asking for his autograph after the game. Chris Godwin, still pretty good. Cade Otten, keep your eye on him at the tight end position. He is slowly moving into that Gronk role. I'm not saying he is Gronk. I'm just saying he's starting to earn Brady's trust in the middle of the field. And Brady needs that, especially as he's starting to lose some NPH on that fastball. You've got weapons. Leonard Fournette has a 10 reception game this year. You, you, you got weapons. But uh, again, you still got the concerns of the offensive line, the interior of the offensive line, and you're still uh, dealing with the fact that Brady is just slowing down. Now to go to the Panthers. I like to think that the Panthers were able to win this game, at least in part, because my guy, Frankie Louvu, was back. Frankie. Frankie missed the last couple of games. Good to see him back out on the field. Didn't leave his prints on this game quite as much as some games he has earlier this year. But I feel like, you know, just having his presence kind of makes that defense hold. That defense, I've talked about them before. They've got good players uh, throughout that defense. Good young players as well. And those good young players, in some cases, got to, got to kind of get off in this game. Brian Burns was active in this game in the backfield. And so this Carolina defense, I mean, the team is not good. I mean, two and five, even though, hey, two and five is good enough to be in the race in the NFC South. But don't, don't blame the defense for what's going on in Carolina. Uh, P.J. Walker, last week, P.J. Walker had negative one air yards. What that means is the passes, the distance his passes traveled added up to one yard behind the line of scrimmage. Basically, everything was a check down or a screen or a one-yard pass. P.J. Walker would not throw the ball downfield to save his life last week. 
So it was shocking to me to see him throw a perfect pass on a kind of deep corner route to Tommy Trump. It was shocking enough to the Buccaneers because there basically wasn't anybody on Tommy Trump. It says a lot about the state of quarterback in Carolina that a coach can watch that performance from P.J. Walker yesterday. P.J. Walker's basically thrown two good passes in two games. And the coach said, you know what? Two good passes in two games is enough. He's the starting quarterback, no matter if the other two are healthy or not. That, that, that says all you need to know about the quarterback situation in Carolina. Not going to name names, but it's pretty bad when that game leaves an impression on the coach just because you didn't completely fail. Because Baker in this game. sucks. That's why. <laughs> I, I, just, I couldn't help it. I had to throw you that blame. The shocker for me in this game, to get out shocked by the score. I'm not totally shocked that Carolina won this game after what I saw in Pittsburgh last week. I'm shocked at 21-3. You couldn't have told me that Carolina's run game would dominate this game. Carolina just traded Christian McCaffrey. If there's one thing Tampa Bay can still do, it's supposed to be stop the run. Deontay Foreman, who I don't want, I don't want to, I don't want to shortchange him. Deontay Foreman had a strong start, a strong finish, excuse me, to last season after Derrick Henry got hurt. Deontay Foreman and Chuba Hubbard combined for 181 yards on the ground in this game. Both Foreman and Hubbard averaged seven or more yards a carry. Packers, are you listening? Two backup running backs got you 180-plus yards on the ground against one of the better defensive fronts in the league. Green Bay might want to attempt to do what Carolina's doing. But it's just a shocker to me to see that. The first game without Christian McCaffrey, you're wondering, is this backfield going to still be able to produce anything? Now, who should I get in fantasy? Of course, that's the big thing when, when a running back is traded. And damn, the answer is start both them guys against Tampa Bay's defense. Shocking. I just I couldn't believe that Deontay Foreman and Chuba Hubbard were able to run right through Tampa Bay's defense. Meanwhile, Leonard Fournette got nothing going on in this game. And that was a shame to see as well. So uh Tampa Bay is not going to win too many games where Antoine Winfield Jr. is hurt. And they're also not going to win too many games when they get destroyed on both sides of the ball in the run game. So you combine all that with the fact that Brady is clearly slowing down, or if you want to say distracted or whatever, it looks like he's slowing down to me. But uh, things are looking bad for Tampa. And I just did not think I would say that about a team I was very high on coming into the season. Well, unlike you, Julius, and everybody else, I was not high on Tampa Bay because I had them ranked lower than the Eagles. Smartest man in the room. Uh, no, we talked about this in the preseason, though, in all honesty. We talked about the offensive line. We talked about how... 45-year-old Tom Brady, because you talked about this last year and you talked about it in the preseason. You kept saying, Tom Brady looks like he's slowing down. I don't care that he had the most... That's your most, your most famous... I don't care that he had the most total yards. He threw it more than anybody else. I don't care. Um, you know, I was mad that he injured my guy Godwin twice on bad throws, inaccurate throws. We've been talking about how he's been inaccurate. Um, yeah. Kind of feels like Gronk didn't come back for a reason. Kind of feels like Julian Edelman didn't come out of retirement for a reason, right? Like... Um, but we talked about this offensive line. They've had injuries since the start of the season, plus the guys that left or retired. And we talked about it. For a quarterback like Tom Brady and most quarterbacks in the league, you need time to throw the ball. You need protection. And 
especially for Tom Brady. He's not getting it. He's not mobile. If you look at this man trying to escape or get out of the pocket or do anything that's not in the pocket, it's it's a comedy. It's a comedy movie. It's it's hysterical. It, like he just looks like he's struggling so hard to just even move. Um, you know, I don't want to read too much into this, but sometimes when you're seeing him try to make throws, you see him like I don't want to say grimacing, but it looks like it's tough for him to make throws, which is interesting this guy just looks like he's a beat down dude like i don't want to put too much stock into his personal life and i don't know anything about it so i'm not gonna sit up here and act like i do besides what's been told to us but i know for myself if i'm affected at home or if i'm affected in something in my personal life i know i take that into work i know i'm not the best me i can be when i go in so can't even imagine some dude that needs to that's 45 to go out there and try to perform against 21 year olds 22 or 23 year olds um you know like it's it is going to take a toll, and and I don't know, man. I just he just does not look focused. He doesn't look like the same Tom Brady. Um, yeah, that Mike Evans drop was a was a backbreaker, but at the same time, it was the first quarter. Mm-hmm. You should not have a backbreaking play in the beginning of the game. If that was the <laughs> end of the third quarter, if that was like halfway through the fourth, you know, maybe that's more understandable. But right. the Buccaneers should not look like they're like. The Buccaneers don't look like a team that has won the Super Bowl recently. Doesn't look like a team that has Super Bowl aspirations, right? Like, it's kind of reminding me of how Aaron Rodgers acts whenever one of his guys drops a ball. Like, head down, moping, oh, I don't want to be here, my team sucks. Like, that's kind of how Tampa's starting to feel, right? Like, you see a lot of guys having their head down. You see a lot of guys not, it doesn't seem like they believe in the team themselves, um, which is concerning if I'm, I'm not a Tampa Bay fan but if I was a Tampa Bay fan I'd be concerned about how we've looked especially since arguably if it wasn't for roughing the passer call you could have potentially lost to Atlanta and now you've lost to the Steelers and the Panthers in back-to-back weeks um mm-hmm. moving on to the Panthers you know clearly CMC was holding them back get rid of that <laughs> get rid of that cancer of the locker room and they come out and they beat Tampa Bay uh just joking, but you know if this was another person and or a certain player that people don't like, that's exactly what they would be saying. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, excited to see Christian McCaffrey in that 49ers offense, and we'll talk about that later, but uh, uh, I want my guy DJ Moore to be free. I want him to be free so bad. They freed Christian McCaffrey and Robbie Anderson. I can see why they didn't trade Burns. He His, his handprints yeah. were all over this yeah. game. Um, don't trade the defense. Don't trade the defense. The, the defense. The defense is not what's wrong with this team. Um, <clears throat> Baker Mayfield and Sam Darnold are what's wrong with this team. So I'm excited for PJ Walker, XFL legend. Um, you know, I'm really excited for PJ Walker for if he gets a nice opportunity to actually start the rest of the season. Uh, see what you got there. Why not? What do you have to lose? You know who Sam Darner and Baker Mayfield are. We don't need to see them anymore. Mm-hmm. We don't. Honestly, I'm just being honest. And you know what? PJ Walker, PJ Walker, when they let him let it loose, he made some nice throws. I'm not sitting here saying that he made great throws every every time, but he had some nice throws. And let's not act like Tampa Bay's defense is bad. That's the best part of that team. Oh, yeah. So... <laughs> The running game obviously helped, <laughs> obviously helped out the Panthers, but P.J. Walker made some good throws, um, better than the one good throw Baker makes every single game, so I don't need to see that anymore. 
Um, yeah, shout out to Deontay Foreman and Chuba Hubbard. I mean, I have Hubbard on almost all of my fancy teams because I was stealing him, so people couldn't handcuff him and Christian McCaffrey. Looks like I have a running back one now, so I'm excited. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Mike Evans dropping that pass is super uncharacteristic of Mike Evans. He has some shit. You could tell after he dropped it to he was pissed. It wasn't even no, like, no. it wasn't even the kind of like disappointed. Like he was pissed. He like <laughs> smacked his hands, looked at his hands. He was like, what the? I don't drop that. So, um, <laughs> But this is a huge win for the Panthers because, again, no one in the NFC wants to win anything. And everyone in that division lost. So the Panthers gained a game on every single team in that division. Um, So it was actually a big win for Carolina to shockingly say they are still in the playoff hunt and division hunt. (laughs) Go P.J. Walker. Moving on to the best team in the NFL, the New York football Giants at a 6-1 beating the Jacksonville Jaguars. Um, this game actually was a really exciting game to watch. If anyone watched it, I did. Obviously, it's the Giants. Um, I I don't even care anymore. I'm all in. Julius, I'm going to say it. <laughs> I'm all in on the season. We could end up 6-11. and 11. I'm all in. I am. I am. I told you how excited I was about the day ball hire. You know, I, I, I talked about it all preseason. I was so excited that we got rid of the GM. Um, you know how yeah. you know yeah. how much I hated that man. I'm not gonna say his name. I'm not gonna give him his name on my podcast. That's how much I hated him. Um, but you know how excited I was for this new regime coming in because for a decade of just shitty hires for this organization, I was like, I feel like these guys coming from the 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 organization from the Bills that they helped stabilize that organization. The Bills were so bad for so long, and these two guys helped bring that organization up, right? So I was excited about it, and it looks like it's already paying dividends. I had no expectations for this year. I thought this was a super rebuild. <laughs> right. I was like, I'm just excited we got Evan Neal and Kayvon Thibodeau. I'm just, because the rest of the draft, I was like, oh, why are we taking these guys? Wandale Robinson has been a huge surprise for me. I was not expecting him to even make this big of an impact. And again, I'm not saying he's going out for 100 yards receiving or anything, but like you can just tell how they want to use him in the offense. And I think that's going to open up a lot of things for the offense because uh, Daniel Jones has no one to throw to since Shepard got hurt. Galladay, bye. I don't care about you anymore. We could cut you. I could care less. I don't know what's going on with Kadarius Tony. I know they say he has a hamstring injury, groin injury, but um, he just it's just weird that he's kind of like he played one game and hasn't been heard of since. So that's hopefully he gets healthy and comes back. But shout out to this defense. Wink Martindale was the best hire this coaching staff could have made because when we got rid of Bradbury, I was like, what are we doing on defense? Why are we getting rid of our best corner? Um, Obviously he's proving his worth in Philly, but uh, this defense is playing like the defense is the reason we are winning games. Let's not sit here and say the offense is blowing people out because they have the lowest margin for points for winning. The giants are 27, 27 points. That is their margin for their six wins. Um, they all their games have been one possession wins, which is great. You want to win those games, right? That's that's how you win games. That's a championship win. Um, I'm not, I don't think the Giants are going to win a championship. I don't even think they're going to make the playoffs, even though they're six and one still. Thank God the NFC is terrible because that's, that's bold. Well, guess what? We still got to play Dallas and we got to play Philly twice still. So those are not exciting games for me. Um, but the NFC is really bad, so they could make the playoffs, but. You just, mm-hmm. just as a Giants fan, just let down for all these years. I just feel like the drop off is coming soon. So I will take every win I can get as they come along. So six and one, I'm excited. 
Um, Daniel Jones using his legs is the best version of Daniel Jones. Yep. That last drive to seal the game, even though there were some questionable calls by the referees at the end of this game, which I was yelling at my TV screen. Um, I love the Saquon and Daniel Jones back and forth, kind of like one-two combo. Um, th- you know, they just were rushing down the field. They couldn't be stopped. It was a great thing to see. And I'm excited. Six and one. It's, it's, I did not see that coming at all. No one did, even though I said that if I had to pick a team to go from worst to first, it was the Giants. But I, I did not see six and one coming out the gates. Um, moving on to Jacksonville. This is another game where you could have won it, but you didn't. And we, and again, it's kind of like we we enjoy seeing them being in games. We enjoy seeing them kind of play hard, but they're just not making the plays to win football games. I guess Travis Etienne has done enough for this organization to say, F you, James Robinson, see you later, because <laughs> they traded him to the Jets. Um. Trevor Lawrence threw for over 300 yards, but they were kind of meaning, meaningless yards, in my opinion. Like, if you watch the game, yeah, he had 300 yards passing, but, like, what did he do in the clutch situations? What did he do on third downs? What did he do when he had guys that were open for touchdowns? He missed them. So, um, I know last year you and I talked about this all the time. We're kind of – it's a wash year, his rookie year, because of Urban Meyer. So, this is kind of really his rookie year, but – I need to start seeing Trevor Lawrence make that leap to more accurate throws when the guys are beat, making the deep throws accurately. Um, Christian Kirk has been worth the money, in my opinion. I've made fun of that signing all offseason, and he's proven that he could be a number one option for this team. I mean, the team doesn't really have anybody else as a number one option, but he's actually backing up with his receiver play. So, that's good to see for him. I don't have anything against the man. I just didn't think he was a number one wide receiver. Um, again, I I don't know what the Jags were thinking. Etienne's coming off of a season-ending injury last year. I like him. You and I both like him. We think he's going to be a great player. I don't, I'm not trading a guy who we also drafted the year before Etienne, who's... <laughs> Who's been balling? I mean, he got no touches last, last yesterday against the Giants. He got yeah. no touches. Yeah, literally, yeah, no touches, which makes no sense. Um, I don't know. I don't know why teams don't want to use a one-two combination. I just don't understand. You, why do you not want to keep your running backs healthy and fresh, especially if you do make a deep playoff run? You need fresh legs. I just, I don't understand the move from them because they got really nothing in return for him. So it was just a weird. Weird trade, in my opinion. Um, now, if they got like a second or third round pick, sure, by all means. But you you didn't really get anything for a guy who's a good player. Like, I think he's a really good player. Um, so that was that was just kind of confusing to me. But shout out to the Giants, six and one, Dayball Coach of the Year, running away with it. Um, yeah, and I, I'm loving it. I'm loving this football season, and I haven't been able to say that in years. So go Big Blue. When I look at the Giants and see that they are six and one. And as Bill Parcells would say, you are what your record says you are. It can look ugly or however you want to put it. This team, somehow, some way, is 6-1. and one. And when I look at the landscape of the NFC, and I'm seeing divisions being led by 4-3 and 3-4 three and three and teams, it's hard for me to envision a scenario where the Giants fall off so much that all these teams 
past them to get to the playoffs. Six, six, when you start six and one, and again, at a time where literally there's a division in your conference that's being led by a three and four team, you got to make the postseason. You know, and I will say this. There are a lot of people who will say, well, the Giants are getting lucky. They're barely winning this and that. Some of it may be luck. Some of it probably is luck. But I always say this. There are people who are under a false impression that the NFL is just full of a bunch of blowouts every week. The bottom line is most NFL games are close. And this year, for the most part, games have been closer on, on average than they've been for several years. Good teams find a way to win close games. Bad teams find a way to lose close games. That's why when you get a 6-1 team facing a 2-5 team, the 6-1 team figures out something to win. The 2-5 team figures out something to lose. The Giants outscored the Jaguars 10-0 in the fourth quarter in this game. There's your difference. Good teams figure it out. Bad teams can't even take advantage of the opportunities given to them. The Giants, for the most part, have done a nice job of closing out games. This game, not so much. You had Saquon Barkley try to stay in bounds and slide out of bounds, just barely, but enough to stop the clock to give the Jaguars more time for their last possession. Then the Jaguars get the ball. Trevor Lawrence throws an interception. Gets negated by a penalty. As Patrick alluded to, he might not like the call, but penalty keeps the play of the game alive. BS roughing the passer. Dude, no. I, I, <laughs> boo. <laughs> and the roughing the passer is what put Jacksonville in position to win the game. But again, even with gifts, because the roughing the passer shouldn't even have came. That came after the interception. It shouldn't even have got to that point. But the Jaguars get two gifts. A good team takes those two gifts and wins this game. A bad team completes the pass at the one-yard line. You've got to put that ball in the end zone. There were three, three Giants defenders sitting on the goal line. You can catch the ball in front of us if you want. Throw the ball in the end zone. I, I, I don't understand that. They'll give you anything that's in front of them. But again, that's what a bad team does. A bad team comes up one yard short. A good team at least throws that ball to the end zone. Maybe they don't convert it, but they don't get stopped at the one. That's your difference. Now in this game, Saquon Barkley had, had over 100 yards rushing. That's what he does when he's healthy, and he's healthy this year. Daniel Jones had over 100 yards rushing in this game. Packers, are you paying attention? Run the ball! The teams that are running the ball and not overdoing it, Falcons, you, know, you don't have to do it when you're losing by 21 points, but the teams that are running the ball effectively while keeping the game close, they're finding ways to win games that you can argue that maybe they shouldn't win. That's the difference. The one concern about me that, that I have for the Giants moving forward is this game was costly from an injury perspective for the Giants. They lose a couple offensive linemen in this game, including top pick Evan Neal, also Ben Bredesen on the inside. I don't know the severity of either injury, but 
given the identity of this team, another team that's run-based. And this team is not like they've got great weapons on the outside. You know, you mentioned Wondell Robinson. He's more of a gadget player. He's more of a near-the-line-of-scrimmage player. So even with him, his game is going to be reliant on good offensive line play. So hopefully Neal's going to be okay. Hopefully Bredesen's going to be okay. Giants need these linemen out there, given the brand of football they play. They also lost Daniel Bellinger in this game, and I don't know how long he's going to be gone, but he suffered a significant facial injury. Bellinger is a guy that they've certainly worked into the offense at the goal line. He started to become an X factor for this team, and to see him go down, it's not good. It's unfortunate because he was really, if you really paid attention, he was really blossoming the last few weeks in limited opportunities. He was showing you that he could make some plays. So that's my only concern about the Giants moving forward is losing those guys when you already know that your top two receivers on paper aren't going to give you anything this year. You, you've kind of accepted that fate. You are, you're thin at playmaker. You can't lose a guy like Bellinger. So that, that's a concern for me. Uh, as for the Jaguars, I, I said I talked about that last play. You, you can't do it. Uh, Travis Etienne, you know, I, I, we, we both like him. We both like him. But, yeah, like you said, you see running backs go down all the time. Why wouldn't you want two quality running backs? Even if you did want to commit to one and say, you know what, one is going to get 80% of the work. Okay. You still, I mean, you, you just watched Travis Etienne Jr. miss an entire season. Why don't you want an insurance policy? If, if nothing else, James Robinson should, should at least be that for you. And it was shocking to me to see Robinson literally get no opportunities. He, he got one target in this game. That's it. And he, and he didn't catch it. So no touches, like you said. I thought, certainly after Travis Etienne fumbled inside the five, a fumble forced by Xavier McKinney, playing the most important position in football, by the way. I thought after that play, maybe you give James Robinson a chance. Maybe you give Travis Etienne a little break and say, you know what? We like what you're doing. You got explosive plays going. But we got to remind you, protect that football in this league. You still didn't give James Robinson a chance. And, you know, Patrick talked about this earlier about how teams treat these players as, as commodities more so than, than, than people or anything that they would value. You know, James Robinson put in all kinds of work to get back from his injury and, and hit the ground running as soon as he got back. And for you to take that as an organization and then just discard them, it, it's sad to see. But again, it's, it's just another one of those things. This is what a two and five team, this is the kind of thing that they do. So now James Robinson, the good thing for him is he ends up landing on his feet. You know, the Jaguars are two and five. James Robinson's not. So... Hopefully he's able to take advantage of that and go on from there. I do have to blow the whistle on Foyer Aloakum, former Falcon, current Jaguar. He got called for roughing the passer in this game on a silly helmet-to-helmet hit on Daniel Jones. Other players got get roughing the passer, so that's not the full reason I'm blowing the whistle on him. I'm blowing the whistle on him because on that play, Daniel Jones threw an interception to my guy, Devin Lloyd. I needed those stats for my defensive rookie of the year. You can't do that. You cannot do that on a play where Devin Lloyd gets an interception. 
any other time. I don't care. Although do what you want to do. But you're an Ivy League player. Be smarter than that. Do not commit that penalty on an interception that I need for personal gain. That's all I got to say about this game. All right, next game we'll get into. Uh, the Baltimore Ravens find a way to hang on and defeat the Cleveland Browns 23-20. to 20. Uh, What do you know? I mean, the, the talk every week now, it seems like this is going to be the case maybe the rest of the season. Can the Ravens hold leads? You know, it, it's well known that the Ravens have had a double-digit lead in every game this season, and they are 4-3. So the question is going to come up every week. It's that bad. This, this team can go up by 30 points. The question is going to be, can they hold on? How do they look in the fourth quarter? That's all anybody's going to care about. And in this game, you started to see a team that, in my opinion, got a little tight in the fourth quarter. A team that was starting to make some mistakes in the fourth quarter. Fourth quarter, they allowed the Browns to score to get back in the game, score a touchdown. And then when the Ravens looked like they were going to respond, Justice Hill fumbles the ball. A fumble forced by Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa, somebody else who I was very high on coming out of college, similar to Isaiah Simmons. People were worried about, oh, he's too small to be a linebacker and not quite fast enough to be a safety. They just put these guys on the field. They've shown you they can make plays. So Owusu-Koromoa forces that fumble, gives Cleveland a, a chance to get back in it. Defense immediately gives up another big play to percent. And all of a sudden, you're starting to say, here we go. When I tell you, you can feel it even just through the broadcast, you could just feel the energy from the team, from the fans. It was this expectation like the Ravens are going to blow it again. But once again, bad teams figure it out. Figure out how to blow it. Amari Cooper, I don't think he needed to push off on Marcus Peters. He did. And that cost him the touchdown that would have put him ahead. Not only that, but Mari Cooper didn't even sell it. Now, maybe it's just because of his personality, but most receivers, when they push off, they'll, they'll keep going, and they'll get in the end zone, and they'll start dancing and doing all that stuff, just like nothing ever happened. Mari Cooper pushed off, caught the ball, and immediately slowed down and started looking around like, yeah, I know that's a flag. I mean, if the ref wasn't going to throw it, you kind of made him throw it. <laughs> I mean, but again, it's, it's just the kind of things that, that this happens to bad teams. This happens to teams that are two and five. If the Browns were five and two, that offensive pass interference play isn't called a penalty. That's just that's just how it works in football. Uh, a lot of it is luck, but a lot of it is luck that you earn or luck that you don't earn. And so, even after that blown opportunity, you have a chance if you're Cleveland to figure out a way to salvage this game. And you line up for a 56-yard field goal, which I wasn't sold on because. You know, as I talked about last week, Cade York, ever since his first game where he was the hero against Carolina, since then, Cade York has had some struggles. He's been shaky. So to send him out there for a 56-yard kick to, to try to tie the game, I wasn't with that decision. Then a penalty gets called on. And you can question whether or not the penalty was legit, but the bottom line is it was called. So now you have a situation where you can go for a fourth and ten on a drive where you already completed two long passes. One did get called back. But you did complete two long passes on a defense that has had collapses at the end of games. Or you can take your shaky rookie kicker and attempt a 61-yard field goal. Somebody apparently told 
the coaching staff for the Browns that they made a trade for Justin Tucker because they still insisted on kicking a field goal. And guess what? It got blocked. Again, bad teams find ways. So now this Cleveland Browns team that a few weeks ago, everybody was saying, oh, yeah, look at them hanging above water. Jacoby Brissett's keeping them going, keeping them competitive. They can hang right in this thing. They might actually be in decent shape when Deshaun Watson gets back. Now, all of a sudden, Cleveland is right where we thought they would be. And bad teams just going to find a way to get back to the bottom. Even when they get off to a decent start to, to have the season, they got their revenge on Baker Mayfield to start the year off. Things look good for two or three weeks. The Browns are the Browns. Good luck being back at the bottom. So I'll say this about the Baltimore Ravens. First of all, I'm going to blow the whistle on them. Because they had a play in this game that worked. Let me just get that out the way. It worked. It converted to fourth down. But they had Mark Andrews line up under center. And Lamar Jackson literally lined up as a running back. And Andrews pitched the ball to Jackson to convert for a first down on a run. You have three running backs. Three. That you used in rotation the whole game. And you don't use any of them on that play. And that was a critical fourth down late in the game. You know better than anybody. I mean, there's a running joke in Ravens press conferences for years where they say not bad for a running back when they talk about Lamar Jackson. They know what's out there as far as the negative Lamar Jackson stereotypes. And to literally have a play where you use him as a running back and have a tight end playing quarterback, I didn't appreciate that at all. So I just had to get that out there. I didn't appreciate that. You're, you're, this is a contract year quarterback who every time he takes a, a run, a rushing attempt, he is risking money, literally. And you put him in that kind of position. You expose him to that kind of contact. Ridiculous. I got another bone to pick with Baltimore. I don't, I don't have much good to say about them for, for how they won this game or anything like that. Again, the Browns are the Browns. But I'm confused with how this team handled J.K. Dobbins and how this team handled Gus Edwards. For those who don't remember, both of those running backs, J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards, were hurt before last season started, and they both missed the entire season. For whatever reason, J.K. Dobbins was the one that was kind of rushed back, aiming to try to get him back for week one. Didn't quite happen. But every week they were saying, he's close, he's close. And in a few weeks, you see, you see uh, Dobbins on the field. Gus Edwards stays on IR, stays on physically unable to perform, all that stuff. When the Ravens bring J.K. Dobbins back, they baby him in. Just a handful of carries on this game, a handful of carries in that game. Every game there's a report that something's wrong with J.K. Dobbins. Something's wrong with his knees. Something's wrong with his chest. He's on the injury report every week. And you keep throwing him out there and saying he's fine. And he's having to miss practice. And you're saying he's fine. Meanwhile, Gus Edwards continues to be baby, continues to be stashed away. Now we get the news that J.K. Dobbins has had another knee surgery. They say he's out four to six weeks. I don't expect him back then, to be honest, based on how this knee's going. But you bring Gus Edwards back when he's fully healthy. And in the first game back, Gus Edwards carried the ball more than any Raven has carried the ball in any game this season. What's up with this? 
Why did you treat J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards so differently when their timelines were so similar? Why did you get one re-injured because you brought him back too soon and the other you held back until he was fully ready to take on a full workload from day one? I, I need uh, some inside information or something because I don't understand that discrepancy between how you handle two running backs on your team. Because NFL organizations do not care about the health and safety of their players. Yeah, this was an ugly game for Baltimore. It was a win, though. A win's a win. Say it every week. You got to win. <laughs> you got to beat who's in front of you. So um, they win. They get to stay in front of Cincinnati just on the tiebreaker right now. Um, Baltimore's offense didn't look good. Their defense was okay. Um, I'm blowing the whistle on Marcus Peters because even though Amari Cooper did push off on him, he just stopped running. He didn't even complete, complete the play. So if they didn't call offensive pass interference, you gave up a touchdown because you wanted to look around for a flag. Why don't you tackle him or push him out of bounds, then argue for the flag? This man literally stopped running. This man literally stopped running and just looked around, which, I mean, thank God they threw the flag for your sake because that was ridiculous. Um <laughs> They always say finish until you hear a whistle. That that man stopped and Mark Cooper ran to the end zone. I wouldn't. I was like, you're right next to him anyway. Um, Brissett looks terrible. Uh, did he have some okay throws? I feel like we say this every week. He's had some okay throws. He kept them in the game, but he's not doing anything to win the game. Nick Chubb finally had a decent game against the Ravens. That's his worst. That's the team he is worst against. Um, he finally had a decent game, but you know he can't have a decent game in this team win. He has to have great games if this team is going to win without a passing attack, essentially. Um, they continue to use Jacoby Brissett as the, you know, one-yard-to-go specialist, and he keeps converting. Um, the one time he didn't convert is when they really needed him to convert, and then they lost that game. So um, this was not – if anyone watched this game, it was not a good game to watch. There was nothing that, like, really popped out about this game uh, besides that Rashad Bateman was back. And it made this passing offense look a little bit better. Um, I will be interested to see with the trade deadline coming if the Ravens will make a move for a wide receiver. They normally don't. Uh, historically, they haven't. Um, there's rumors about Deshaun Jackson, and that would be the typical Ravens move. Absolutely. Um, I believe it. I I don't know why it worked with Steve Smith, but that is the only one it's worked with. It's worked with no other receivers. Um, I don't know why they bring in old veteran receivers. Uh, I mean, it would be better than Demarcus Robinson. So I mean, Deshaun Jackson or T Y Hilton, if T Y Hilton can even run anymore, I would bring in one of those guys. Will Fuller, maybe I would take a flyer on. Um, but I would also look to make a move for someone who can win one-on-one matchups because Besides Rashad Bateman, and you, it was proven when he wasn't in there, mm-hmm. there is no passing attack. And I love Mark Andrews. I'm not saying that he's not, but he's not Travis Kelsey. Like, Travis Kelsey is the gold standard for tight ends, and then it's everybody, every other tight end in the league. Um, and it's not even close. I mean, I love George Kittle, but he has Garoppolo throwing to him, so we'll never know Kittle's full potential. Waller, if he's healthy, is is a great tight end, catching tight end, uh, but he has to be healthy. So, um, Travis Kelsey just is amazing with what he does in receiving at the tight end position. I don't think we'll we'll ever see it again. Uh, Maybe we will, but 
all these tight ends that are supposed to be wide receivers slash tight ends that have come into the league and been drafted high, Kyle Pitts, Evan Ingram, uh, those guys, they're not doing what Travis Kelsey's doing. Um, you know, even when Travis Kelsey's bottled up all day, he gets four touchdowns. So, you know, it, it just, it, uh, it, it's, it's amazing. So anyway, Mark Andrews is a great receiver, receiver and tight end, but you need a receiver that can win one-on-one matchups. And they just don't have that outside of Bateman. So the offense stalls. Um, yeah, I'm interested to see what Cleveland looks like when Deshaun Watson comes back. I want to see what that offense looks like. I want to see if Chubb and Hunt get more running lanes since there is a threat of down-the-field passes. And are we getting Deshaun MVP-level Deshaun Watson, or are we getting having played football in two years Deshaun Watson? Like It's going to be interesting to see how he looks and how the Browns look. But the Browns, again, another team benefiting from the division not being very good. Uh, they're only two games away, two games out of first place, right? So um, they still got to play the Ravens again. They still got to play the Cincinnati again. It'll be interesting to see what happens um, in those games. Um, Need that one. Uh, for the Ravens, though, again, it'll be interesting if they make any moves. Um, I don't think they will. Uh, you know, I, like I said, historically mm-hmm. they don't. So I would, I could see them bringing in a Deshaun Watson or T.Y. Hilton, something like that. I don't see them trading for for a player, though. Um, But Baltimore escaped this one. Every week, as you've talked about, it's been, will they hold on to this lead? So they held on to this one, and we'll see what happens moving forward with this team. But they got to figure something out on offense. And I I 100% agree with you on the J.K. Dobbins, Gus Edwards handling of these injuries. Um, Gus Edwards came back, handled the load, got two touchdowns, looked good. Even when J.K. Dobbins was back and got his touchdown, rushing touchdown, like it just didn't look like the same explosive, cutting, quick twitch kind of J.K. Dobbins that you're used to seeing in college and his rookie season before the end, like all that stuff. So, um, you know, I just don't like what how that, like you said, played out since they both got injured in training camp of last year. It wasn't like one was week 14 and one was week one. It was in this preseason training camp. So. Uh, it just doesn't make any sense. All right, moving right along to the New York Jets at Denver Broncos in a game where oh. Russell Wilson did not start. Um, Denver actually had a chance to win this game. Even with how bad their offense played, blowing the whistle Nathaniel Hackett, you bum. Um, Thank you. Denver had a chance to win this game. And their defense, I feel sorry for them. I really do. I feel sorry for Denver's defense. This defense, I don't think, has given up 20 points in any game this season. Mm, Raiders game, maybe, but they beat y'all. Anyway, if they have, it's been one game. This defense has played outstanding. And if there was any type of competency on the offensive side of the ball, I'm looking directly at Nathaniel Hackett on this. You were brought in as an offensive-minded coach to make this team better. And you have not. So. It's. It's terrible. I. I do not like it. Um, it doesn't make sense to me. I understand you have Brett Rippon in there. I don't care. This offense just looks terrible. Um, again. Denver's defense played good enough to win. I feel like we say this every week and they don't. Moving over to the Jets. That's all I got to say about Denver. 
you can talk about you can talk about Nathaniel Hackett and I feel bad for the defense because the defense has ballers on that side and they're doing everything they can do to win the games Mm -hmm. their offense is giving them nothing moving over to the Jets shout out to the Jets um for let's say a prayer for Brees Hall feel sorry for that injury Uh, I think I read today was a patellar tendon injury um he's gonna be out for the season that's why they traded for James Robinson but he was starting to break out, man. He was he was starting to be why he was taken so high in the second round. Um, on four carries, he led this game in rushing. Like it, this kid was just starting like to show out, right? And just to see an injury like this is is terrible. Uh, Zach Wilson once again didn't do anything to lose the game, but he didn't do anything to win the game. So the Jets are also relying on a run game and defense. Um, their defense is young, but it is balling. Uh, I wasn't expecting Denver to do anything against them, so I thought it was kind of an easy W for the Jets. But, again, Zach Wilson needs to – I might put back in Joe Flacco if Zach Wilson's going to look like this. I'm joking. You know, I'm half-heartedly saying that. But that's just to prove my point that Zach Wilson is doing nothing to win these games. And I don't know if this is the type of progression they want to see from him, but I, I'm worried if I'm a Jets fan because if you get behind in a game by two scores, kind of like the Falcons did against Cincinnati, will you be able to come back? Because you have weapons on that team. So it's just it's just interesting to see their identity. Um, moving very – remember, Salah was the defensive coordinator for the 49ers. The Jets remind me of like a very young 49er-ish team, right? Like – we're going to rely on our defense and our run game. Quarterback, please don't make mistakes. <laughs> like, just, just, get us, just get us out of here. Um, convert some third downs for us, please. Um, but, yeah, that's all I got to say about this game. Jets are 5-2. and two. Didn't see that coming at all. Um, did not see the Patriots being the worst team in their division. So, now that we've seen the Broncos play without Russell Wilson, I think now it might be safe to talk about what's going on in Denver because everybody wants to put it on Russell Wilson and say it's 100% his fault. And I'm not here to tell you that Russell Wilson is playing like an MVP or anything like that. I've said at times he's playing, he he looks like somebody older than Tom Brady at times this season. That's just how he's played. That said, we see what this offense looks like when you take the, quote, problem out of the equation. Rep Rippin averaged under five yards a pass in this game. How difficult is it to average under five yards per pass? Russell Wilson hasn't done that this year. So you're looking at an offense that was even worse without Russell Wilson. As bad as you can say an offense looked with Offense looks this much worse. And I saw people, I, I, Kid you not, I saw people who said, I picked up the Jets' defense in fantasy because I thought they were starting against Russell Wilson. Now that Russell Wilson's out, I'm thinking about dropping the Jets' defense. It's gotten that ridiculous as far as what people are saying about Russell Wilson. So as long as Wilson was in, we couldn't have the conversation about the Broncos because everybody just wants to see Russell Wilson fail. That's what it feels like. This team has no offensive identity. We've talked about teams like the Titans or the Falcons or the Giants that might have to lean on the run too much. At least they've got something. This team without Javante Williams, and I've said this all year, Javante Williams, not Russell Wilson, Javante Williams is the tone setter. I wanted to see Russ not cook. I wanted to see Russ simmer. 
just a little bit. Maybe defrost, but make Javante Williams the folk, the focal point of this offense. He's gone. You've got nothing. The fact that Latavius Murray has to come into this backfield and basically take it over from day one based on the scratch you have left. And now you have to go out and you have to sign Marlon Mack because you need more scraps in that backfield. This backfield is looking a lot like the Ravens' backfield from last year. Just a bunch of names. As a matter of fact, Latavius Murray will be a common denominator between this year's Broncos' backfield last year's Ravens' backfield. It's just a bunch of washed-up guys there now. The offensive line is hurting. They missed Garrett Bowles. That doesn't help. These receivers aren't doing a thing after the catch. Cortland Sutton has had some nice catches, you know, in traffic, but you're, you're getting almost nothing after the catch. You're getting like one play a game where you're getting yards after the catch. In this game, Jerry Judy had that one catch where he got yards after the catch. It's, it's just bad all the way around. This offense sucks. The play calling sucks. And I can say that now because Russell Wilson was not a factor. So we can finally talk honestly about how poor this offense is right now. Now, the one thing Brett Griffin shouldn't have done is there were two critical fourth down plays in this game in the fourth quarter. Both of those fourth downs, he took deep shots at Ahmad Gardner's side. Why? I mean, it's like how I said with Trayvon Diggs earlier. There are certain guys, why are you testing them? And furthermore, why are you testing them with who you're testing them with? With the game on the line, I'm not throwing a 50-50 ball to K.J. Hamler with Ahmad Gardner on. I'm just not going to do that. that. That's a mismatch. Why? Why on fourth down? If you want to do that on second down, fine. Ahmad Gardner leads the league as a rookie, leads the league in pass defenses. That means he's not just sticking to his man. He's sticking to his man and getting his hands on the football. Find somebody else to throw at. And I know DJ Reed is having an underrated season on the other side. He doesn't have a nickname that's cool, so people ain't talking about DJ Reed as much. But he's having a nice season. So I'm not saying that he's some scrub, but I'm saying that Gardner guy, don't keep messing with Sauce unless you got somebody elite to mess with him with. And the Broncos don't. We just had to throw that out there. Now with that piece out of the way, we get to the Jets, and I, I'm almost saddened by the Brees Hall situation because this is somebody who, you know, early in the season wasn't much of a factor, wasn't getting the ball much. He was playing well, just not getting the ball much. I thought that's how his season would go. Then he got unleashed the moment they put Zach Wilson back in the lineup. For whatever reason, they aired it out with Joe Flacco. When Zach Wilson got back, all of a sudden, Brees Hall became the identity of this offense. And you lose him. And it's just a shame to see because you saw the explosion. I mean, the touchdown he scored this game, I mean, he just flew past the entire defense. It just felt like every week, Brees Hall just looked stronger and faster than the week before. I mean, it was just real fun to see how quickly he was ascending. And to see him go down in a, in a, on a day where, I mean, like Patrick said, he, he led the game in rushing with four carries. What would have happened in this game had he got 20 carries? I mean, he, he, he could have had a day for the ages. And to see him go down and to see his season end when he was certainly on an offensive rookie of the year type of, type of pace, it was, it was just unfortunate to see. 
Now we look at Zach Wilson. And again, I, I just don't understand the dichotomy between the play calling when Flacco was quarterbacking versus the play calling when Wilson was quarterback. When you had the over-the-hill Flacco and you made this a pass-happy team. Early in the season, we were talking about the emergence of Garrett Wilson and how uh, how this offense was throwing the ball and how Joe Flacco was among the league leaders in passing yards. Most overrated stat sports, but gives an idea to how much the Jets were throwing the football. Now you have your supposed franchise quarterback. Why is that the point when you just run the ball? Okay, Joe Flacco was throwing the ball 50-plus times every week. Zach Wilson has yet to have a game this year with 20 completions. I just don't understand why there's that much of an extreme difference between the play call and when the quarterbacks are in the game. Without Brees Hall, I'm concerned about the Jets' formula for winning games. Because at some point, Zach Wilson's going to have to start winning you some games. He's going to have to start making a play somewhere. And this passing attack has been so bad that Elijah Moore tried to quit this team. Elijah Moore, somebody who I highlighted in our preview and said, this guy, I expect to take a step forward this year, has been phased out of the offense because passing has been phased out of this offense. <laughs> the, the, the offense the Jets are running is, is the offense people think the Ravens run. Elijah Moore wanted no parts of this offense because they will not throw the football. Which is cool when you have Brees Hall. Now, again, you got James Robinson. And there's a reason why this team was desperate enough to make that move that quickly. Because they know what they're doing when they have Zach Wilson at quarterback. But if you can't trust Zach Wilson to throw the ball at all, then I'm almost inclined to say put Joe Flacco in and not be kidding. Because at some point, you have to trust your quarterback to do something. And when you look at the way this defense is playing, and when you look at the way they're running the football, at least while Brees Hall was in there, and you also consider the fact that you, that you lose Elijah Vera Tucker in this game, that's a big loss as well. You lost two critical pieces, two critical key young pieces in this offense. So it's a shame to see. But you need your quarterback to do something. And you can get away with it with your quarterback doing nothing when you're playing the Broncos who can't put up more than 10 points. What happens when you face somebody who can actually put up 20 on the defense? Because it's going to happen at some point. At some point, you're going to have to score 20-plus points to win a game. If you don't trust Zach Wilson to attempt to do it, then I got a question why he's your starting quarterback. So we'll see. We'll see what James Robinson looks like in this offense. I don't expect him to be Brees Hall, but as we talked about earlier, he's a solid, productive back. Is that good enough for considering how reliant the Jets are on the running game to be the everything for this offense. We'll see. So now I have the uh, rare opportunity to talk about my Las Vegas Raiders after a win. How about that? Turns out all you need as a struggling team is for the Houston Texans to come to town. And the Raiders got that opportunity, took advantage, and came away with a 38-20 win in this game. Uh, the game was closer than that final score would indicate, which is unfortunate, but it's just a sign of, again, just how disappointing uh, the Raiders have been. And that's it, another reminder of how disappointing this division has been, quite frankly, outside of Kansas City. Uh, a back-and-forth game for much longer than it should have been. Fortunately, Josh Jacobs continued to play like a beast. This is the Josh Jacobs that you hope for, we just took him in the first round. 
This is the Josh Jacobs that you weren't sure existed anymore when you didn't take his fifth-year option. And quite frankly, I don't blame him for for not taking that fifth-year option. Josh Jacobs has spent a lot of time over the last couple of years on the injury report. And we've seen sporadic production, but it hasn't been consistent. But these last three games, he's over 140 yards rushing in each game. He's got six touchdowns in the last three games. He has been the offense. He paid all that money to Derek Carr. He paid all that money, gave up all those assets to get Devontae Adams to become a team that just runs the ball. Thanks. Appreciate that. And by, by the way, it's Matt Hollins who's, who keeps coming up with the big plays for this offense. You know, again, you paid all that money to Devontae Adams. Who who's scores the touchdown in traffic? This is Matt Hollins. You paid Darren Waller all that money. He's out injured again. Who's, who's the reliable option? It's Matt Hollins. The hierarchy of this receiver core is quite backwards these days. But, hey, as long as you've got Josh Jacobs, he's, he's covering up a lot of mistakes on the offense right now. Other than him, uh, Daniel Carlson is the most valuable offensive player on this team once you get aside from Josh Jacobs. Uh, you know, we'll see how, you know, how sustainable this is. Uh, again, I, I want to see Josh Jacobs get through a year healthy. One, obviously, it makes the Raiders a better offense. And two, I do want to see Josh Jacobs, as, as frustrating as it's been as a Raiders fan to watch him be hurt over the years, I do want to see him get his money. So hopefully he continues to, to stay healthy. He's not going to get a whole lot of money because, you know, we've seen what has happened in recent years to running backs who have gotten big uh, free agent deals or big extensions from their teams. It hasn't gone well. So Josh Jacobs is not going to get paid but so much, but I hope he gets a, a little something. So we'll see moving forward. I am actually want to blow the whistle on Roy Lopez, a defensive lineman for the Texans here. Uh, with the game still in the balance, it was 24-20. Raiders line up for fourth and one. Not going to snap it. One of those things where you're just going to try to draw them offside. If not, the Raiders were going to kick a field goal. Daniel Carson's automatic, so it was going to be 27-20. Texans would have still been within one score. Roy Lopez, you're an interior defensive lineman. You're six inches from the ball. Just look at it. There's no reason for you to jump off sides. You jump off sides, give the Raiders a free first down, and the next play is another Josh Jacobs touchdown. That's essentially what sealed the game. Now, Davis Mills eventually follows that up with a pick six and really puts the game away. Shout out to Ron Harmon for coming up with a play for the defense because we don't get many of those. But... Roy Lopez, you gotta be you gotta be more disciplined than that, man. You gotta you gotta with your team still in the game, you gotta be able to to hold your water and stay on the right side of the line. Give your team a chance to win that. I'm starting to get a little concerned about this passing offense as well. I've talked a couple of times this year about how Davis Mills has kind of kept his head above water in a uh, situation that's. Far, far less than ideal, to say the least. Not a desirable situation at all. But I will say, Brandon Cooks, and we, we've seen Brandon Cooks in really good offenses. We've seen him in bad offenses. And he's found ways to produce every time. This was Brandon Cooks' fifth straight game under 60 yards. That's just not something you hear about Brandon Cooks. Certainly not against the Raiders' defense. Uh, the fact that Brandon Cooks can't hit 60 yards in a game anymore is concerning. The fact that he's averaging a career low 10 yards a catch, concerning. 
Uh, this passing attack was always going to be weak. When you look at their depth chart, you understand that. Uh, when you look at the fact that you needed Philip Dorsett the second and Chris Moore, I mean, these are castaways. These are special teams type players catching your touchdown passes. That speaks to how bad your receiving core is. But you still got to find a way to get Brandon Cooks involved. You got to at least be able to do that much. And so this, this Texas team is uh, going nowhere fast. Not a surprise. Um, probably a favorite right now to be the team that gets the number one overall pick. And uh, all I can say is Houston is probably about that time to really, really start buckling down and start scouting those quarterbacks because that seems like that's going to be the move for you in about eight months or six months. So I'm blowing the whistle on Devontae Adams for making sure the path was clear before he walked off the field after winning. No, I'm joking. But good good for him not running someone over today. Um Davis Mills is who we thought he was going to be. Uh, you know, he makes some throws here and there, but he ain't winning you any games, and he's most likely going to cost you games because he cost Houston the game against Chicago. Definitely did not help them out in this game. Josh Jacobs, beast. Uh, glad that he fell to fifth and sixth rounds in all my fantasy drafts. He is winning me lots of weeks and leagues right now. Um, <clears throat> Devontae Adams had almost 100 yards receiving, but again, it was Mac Hollins that made the nice catch in traffic to get a touchdown. Um, Hunter Renfro hasn't really been heard of in this offense this year, which is weird, um, especially with Waller being hurt. And I know Renfro was out because of a concussion for a week or two there, but like even when he was, you know, everyone was blaming him for Devontae Adams running into him, but on those routes, Devontae needs to take it further out, and that was actually Devontae's fault at the end of that game for running into Hunter. Um, but anyway, it's just weird that he had like 100 catches last year and 1,000 yards receiving, and now Derek Carr acts like he doesn't exist. Um, it's just a very weird thing to see. And it may maybe Josh McDaniels, maybe it's his offense, I don't know, but because it is two different regimes in there now, but... I don't think you can't have Derwin James and other people in the league that are the best at their position or one of the best saying that this guy is one of the best route runners in the league. And you want to tell me he's not getting open. You want to tell me there's no place for him to run. It's just, it's just a weird thing happening there. You know, we all expected Derek Carr to quote unquote, take the lead. Now that he has a number one wide receiver, hasn't had receivers his whole career besides Amari Cooper early on. And he has not looked good. Um, luckily Houston's a bad team. Las Vegas got some nice win. Uh, the pick six sealed it for sure. Um, but I'm still not sold on Josh McDaniels being the head coach here. Uh, he didn't have a, you know, when he was going to leave to be the Colts head coach and then he backed out of it, you know, that said a lot about him, I think, in my opinion. And now that he's with mm-hmm. Vegas, I just, I don't know, man. Some people are just better suited to be coordinators. Like I've said that before. There's just some guys who are not cut out to be head coaches. Nathaniel Hackett. Um, but, uh, but uh, you know, We'll see. You know, Vegas has had some really close calls with some really good teams. I, I think they personally should have beaten the Chiefs. Um, we won't talk about that game, though. Um, but, yeah, so we'll see going forward. They're in a tough division. Uh, the Chargers lost, though. Lucky for them. And so, you know, they're they're and the Broncos are terrible. So, you know, they there's hope in the Vegas yeah. locker room. But yeah. we'll yeah. we'll see what happens. <laughs> It is only week seven. I don't want to jump the gun yet. You know, this NFL season has been weird and there's lots of mediocre slash bad teams. So um, 
besides the Bills and the Chiefs, I don't think the AFC really has anyone. Like, I'm still not sold in the Jets at 5-2, and two, right? Like, I don't know. That's just me personally. So th- there's still some room, some wiggle room within the AFC, you know? AFC South is probably only sending one team to the playoffs. So there's going to be AFC North right now might only send one team to the playoffs, right? So you just don't know. Like, there's lots of wiggle room in the AFC just like there is in the NFC this year. Um, moving on to a shocking result for me, uh, Seattle beating the Chargers 37-23. to um, I said this tongue-in-cheek in the preseason as the Chargers were ranked number one in my preseason power rankings, and I said that because I said if Justin Herbert is what every analyst on TV makes him out to be, they'll be the best team in the NFL. Granted, Keenan Allen has been injured with a hamstring for what seems like 12 years. Like it, This guy has not healed from it. Um, but even saying that, if Justin Herbert was as good as everyone says he is, they should be winning these types of games. Now, the defense gave up 37 points, and Kenneth Walker decided to go nuts at the end of the game. Um, but your leading receiver cannot be Austin Eckler. I love Eckler. I think he's a good back to have some receiving. He can't be your leading receiver if you want to win the game. So, um, shout out to Geno Smith and really shout out to the Seattle defense because the offense was carrying this team weeks two through four. In the last three weeks, the defense has really been stepping it up. Again, Seattle scored 37 points, but those were two big Kenneth Walker runs near the end of the game. Um, The defense really, and you know what? DK got hurt in this game, DK Metcalf. So it's going to be interesting to see how Geno reacts to that because if people want to tell you Russell Wilson sucks and he had good receivers to throw to, I agree. DK, I'm not saying he sucks. I'm saying DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett are two really good receivers. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens with DK Metcalf going down. Marquise Goodwin's not going to ball out every day. Um, yeah, blowing the whistle on Brandon Staley. I hate your fourth down going for it they never make any sense i don't like know the time and situation of the game i just don't understand you got stuffed on it it was a terrible play call for it the fourth and one if justin herbert's your guy why is he why does he not have the ball in his hands to make something happen on a fourth and one um brandon silly just again i feel like if someone else was coaching this team he'd be on the hot seat they'd be talking about firing him I just don't get it. This this guy has cost his, cost his team a playoff opportunity last year, let's be honest, with how many times he wanted to go for it against the Chiefs in the game they had won until Derwin James got hurt. Then the last game against Las Vegas cost his team a playoff opportunity last year, and it looks like he's going to cost them one again this year. They just look terrible. He's making terrible coaching decisions. Um, again, we gave a shout-out to the Seattle defense last week. We called out a couple corners. Um, you know, this team... Seattle is, one, leading the division, shocker of the season, um, and two, good for Geno Smith. You know, it, it. not saying they can sustain it for a full year, but good for him for even continuing to fight, didn't give up in the training, in the, in the quarterback battle during training camp, uh, you know, sat behind Russell Wilson, learned the offense, so when it was his time to get an opportunity, he is making the most of his opportunity, and I can appreciate that as he's never given up because a lot of people wrote him off five, six years ago. So good for him. Um, to me, this, this 
loss is more about how bad the Chargers actually are. And I'm blowing the whistle, NFL, and I need you to hear me on this. I talked about my biggest concern being everyone going to domes. The turf that y'all play on is causing so many injuries. My guy, J.C. Jackson, blew out his, I think they said patella tendon, or MCL or something. Dislocated knee. Yeah. Dislocated kneecap. He's out for the season. Yeah. Just running down the field, tries to plant and jump. (sighs) Blows his knee out. Now, I'm not saying that all has to do with the fields, but you're seeing way too many ACLs. Sterling Shepard, example, just running. Just running, not even involved in the play. Blowing an ACL. Now, I think a lot of that has to do with the fields. I also think a lot of that has to do with NFL teams putting guys out on the field that aren't fully healthy. Mm-hmm. Which goes back to my mm-hmm. point <laughs> at the top of the show that the NFL and the organizations don't actually care about these players. You want to know why? They care about getting a W on Sunday or Monday or Thursday, and they just want to try and make the playoffs. Why? The GMs want to keep their jobs. The head coaches and coaches want to keep their jobs. They don't care. No one's going to care about J.C. Jackson when he's retired. The Chargers ain't going to be caring about him. Just like the Dolphins don't care about Tua once he's off the team or once he's retired. They care about now. They care about winning games. So... NFL, if you actually care about player safety, I need you to show it. Because you say it, I don't see your actions. I see no actions from you saying, I care about I care about safety. I care about our players. Like, it doesn't... I don't see any actions from it. I don't believe it. There's too many examples from concussion protocols to the the what they have to play on, how they just get shots to... to mask the pain so they can get out on the field and play from Tyrod Taylor getting punctured in his lungs from someone who's supposed to be medically equipped to do what he was doing. Like, you know, words not matching actions is called manipulation. And refusing to be held accountable for it is called gaslighting. So, you know, we're talking about abuse, people, if you don't understand what I'm trying to say. And the NFL abuses its players. Always has, probably always will. It's just my two cents on that topic. Pick me up right where you left off, Patrick. I'm blowing the whistle on the Chargers training staff. Before we even get into the game, since, since, since you're on that tangent, I'm blowing the whistle on the Chargers training staff. Keenan Allen, you mentioned him earlier. He's been out forever with his hamstring issue. Keenan Allen did not play the second half of this game. The Chargers said, and Keenan Allen said himself, it was not injury-related. It was, quote, pitch count-related. How is a player healthy enough to play a half of football but not the whole game? I'm blowing the whistle every time I hear pitch count or anything of the like. Either a player is capable of playing football or he's not. But you cannot tell me that somebody's hamstring is capable of playing NFL football for two quarters, but not four. What makes this even worse, the Chargers are on a bye next week. 
if Keenan Allen is too hurt to play football, you already held him out of five games. You could have held him out of one more game and got him two more weeks of rest. Why didn't you do that? The schedule's not a surprise. It's not like the schedule comes out one week at a time. You knew you had to buy next week. Why'd you force Keenan Allen into this game? Four halves. What was that supposed to accomplish? The only thing that could happen there is aggravate the hamstring. That's the only thing that could happen. Nothing good comes out of bringing a player back from injury for a half planned. Then you sit him the second half with a bye week the next week. So I, I got to blow the whistle on a horrendous handling of that hamstring situation for Keenan Allen. Getting to the game itself, I, I don't mind seeing Austin Eckler as the leading receiver. The reason I say that is because, you know, I talk time and time again about how the best thing for a quarterback is somebody who can get them easy completions. You know, it's, it's nice to see the highlights. It's nice to see the 50, 60-yard passes down the field. What pads these stats for quarterbacks is short passes that turn to touchdowns, short passes that get all kinds of yak. So with that said, Austin Eckler gives this team the easiest passes. So I don't mind him being a lead receiver. I've said pretty much every week this season, good things happen when Austin Eckler touches the ball. He's the most important player in this offense, even more important than Justin Hurt. Austin Eckler scored two touchdowns in this game. Austin Eckler has eight touchdowns in his last four games. So the two touchdowns he had today, that's what he's been averaging for the last month, two touchdowns a game. Get him the ball. It is, this offense is not about Justin Herbert. It is about Austin Eckler. Justin Herbert's not stepping up, people. And I don't like the idea necessarily of the clock ticking, quote-unquote, on a player in his third year. But I can't help but to think back to what I was hearing about Lamar Jackson in his second year. And I've said this before, but I'll repeat it. Lamar Jackson in his second year. Now, his first year, he turned a 4-5 and five team around and got the Ravens to the playoffs. He lost in the first round. Lamar Jackson was fumbling the ball all over the place. Second year, Lamar Jackson gets right back to the playoffs, loses again. And in two years, the knock on Lamar Jackson was, he's not the answer because he's not winning playoff games. Two years into Justin Herbert's career, I'm still waiting for a playoff appearance. And yet you have people having conversations talking about they take Justin Herbert over Patrick Mahomes. Serious conversations on major TV networks with people saying they take Justin Herbert over Patrick Mahomes. Where is the accountability? This game right here for a team that every year, these last couple of years now, Everyone's saying Herbert's going to elevate this team. Last couple of years, the Chargers are people's Super Bowl favorites at the top of the power rankings and everything else. When does this team, when does this quarterback get the same accountability that I'm watching other quarterbacks who allegedly aren't as good as Justin Herbert? Why, why is he considered better than other quarterbacks but yet held to a lower standard? I, I just, I just, when I see games like this, because there's no reason why a Seahawks team without DK Metcalf should be able to win this game the way they did. So I got a problem with that and the fact that there's no accountability for a guy that had, that had the Chargers won this game. We'd have to hear about how great Justin Herbert is. It just, it just gets old. 
Uh, he talked about the, the field conditions and uh, the like. Uh, the Chargers suffered two significant injuries in this game, one to J.C. Jackson, of course, as you mentioned, the other to Mike Williams. And both of those were – there's never a good time to get hurt, so don't get me wrong. But those injuries happened at costly times. J.C. Jackson gets hurt on a play where Marquise Goodwin catches a touchdown. Mike Williams gets hurt on a pass that was a fourth and fourth 13 that he caught. He had it for a first down, and the injury caused him to drop the ball. So one injury led directly to a score. The other injury led directly to a turnover on down. So those were costly injuries in the moment and likely costly injuries moving forward. With that out the way, uh, the Seahawks, uh, Kenneth Walker III, uh, he, he is looking like a legit star. And I've, I've spent uh, the beginning portion of this year talking about Rashad Penny and if he could just stay healthy, how much hope I had for him as a running back. And he just, unfortunately, it's just his body just can't do it for whatever reason. Kenneth Walker III looks like everything that I thought Rashad Penny could be if he stayed healthy and then some. And I didn't expect the, the light to click this fast, to turn on this quickly for Kenneth Walker III especially for a guy who entered the season with a hernia issue. I thought he'd be brought along slowly and maybe towards the last few weeks of the season, maybe you start to get this kind of production. But uh, he's hitting the ground running ever since he got a prominent role in this offense. And this Seattle identity is starting starting to look familiar. You're seeing the young guys lead the team. Again, the, the leaders of this team, along with Geno Smith, of course, are all rookies. When you talk about Kenneth Walker III, Tariq Woolen, Kobe Bryant, these guys are setting the tone as rookies. You see guys like Daryl Taylor and others on both sides of the ball really feeding off these guys. And so it's interesting to see if Seattle can sustain this, especially when the teams who are supposed to be the premier teams of this division, I'm talking specifically about the defending champions, Rams and the 49ers, those teams can't get their act together there might be reason to believe that Seattle can sustain this and maybe not sustain as in score 37 every week, but this team is showing a lot of promise, a lot of fight, and it's starting to get to that point where you say, why not? Why can't this team win this division if nobody else is going to show up in this division? Uh, DK Metcalf, you hate to see him uh, get hurt in this game. Uh, when he got carted off, I honestly, not even joking, I honestly hoped that it was another bathroom situation for DK Metcalf. But it turns out that he got injured in this game as well. Marquise Goodwin stepped up beautifully. Uh, talking about the touchdown he caught on the J.C. Jackson injury play. Uh, that was one of two touchdowns caught by Goodwin. Uh, so he did a brilliant job of stepping up in this game and using that speed. It's, it's, it's amazing because it feels like Marquise Goodwin's been around for a long time. And yet he still has that world-class speed. He still has the one of my favorite end-zone celebrations with uh, doing the long jump. He still looks like an Olympic-level athlete. Uh, but my question moving forward is if Metcalf is going to be out for any period of time, who continues to fill that void? Who continues to be the big physical presence in the passing game? Because when you have Tyler Lockett and Marquise Good, when you're talking about two speedsters, two big play guys, but both undersized guys. So... Do they have somebody who can step in and fill that big physical, big target role? Does Noah Fant finally get a consistent role in this offense? Do they start looking at the tight ends a little more? I want to see if this team changes its philosophy. And next week, we're talking Giants-Seahawks 
that that's going to be an interesting game. We have two teams that had no expectations going into the season. And all of a sudden, this game has way more implications than I thought it would have a month ago. And it's going to be interesting. Seattle's going to be home. Can they defend that? Can they find a way to win that game? If Seattle can beat the Giants, and you're asking a lot as far as the travel goes for the Giants, because the Giants, they, they not, not too long ago had to go to London, then you had to go down to Jacksonville, now you got to go all the way to Seattle. A lot of travel, a lot of miles on the Giants lately uh, from a traveling perspective. Does that catch up to them in this point? Uh, Again, is the twelfth man back because it was kind of looked like it was kind of gone for a little while, but uh, they've got reason to believe again in Seattle. So that's going to be a very interesting game to, to watch next week. Uh, it'd be interesting to see who's available for that from that game from an injury perspective. But yeah, keep your eye on Giants Seahawks next week. Like I said the Chargers on a bye next week. It's a it's a well timed bye because they they got some things to figure out. They got some guys to try to get healthy, and they need to figure out what they're doing, what their identity is, and what their training staff is doing. Next game we're going to get into is the Kansas City Chiefs and the San Francisco 49ers. There's good news and bad news for the 49ers in this game. The good news for the 49ers is they scored the first 10 points in this game. The bad news is the rest of the game happened. I don't know what was up with the 49ers defense. And I I know because we've talked about the last couple of weeks about how the 49ers defense is shorthanded. We talked about how they weren't able to handle the Falcons run game last week. They got you know, out physical, so to speak. And, you know, the lack of depth in their defense is starting to show up. And it's one thing to get pushed around because you don't have the depth or you don't have your main guys. What was confusing for me in this game is it was like they didn't have a scouting report. I'll tell it to the 49ers now, but it's a little too late. Nicole Hartman Jr. is a gadget player. McCole Hartman Jr., when he comes in the game, he's normally going to get the ball via a sweep or one of those stupid drop passes that shouldn't count as a pass. That's how he gets the ball. That's how he gets involved in the offense. The Chiefs ran that a few times. And every time they ran it, San Francisco looked completely caught off guard. Every time they ran it, they let Harbin get to the edge. And before they knew it, he was in the end zone. McCole Harbin got three touchdowns in this game, basically doing the same thing three times. And I just couldn't believe that the 49ers couldn't make an adjustment to that. That wasn't about lack of depth or missing guys in the secondary or anything, that just seemed to be a complete lack of awareness from San Francisco. And I don't know if at some point they just quit in this game or what, but uh, it was just disturbing to see for a team that's supposed to have a strong defensive identity. You know, I'm, I'm a big fan of D'Amico Ryans as a defensive coordinator. I just don't know what this team was doing defensively. They just didn't seem like they had a clue on how to stop Nicole Hartman sweeps. And if you can't stop those, you can forget it against Kansas City. Uh, for me, I was encouraged to see Juju Smith-Schuster. That's somebody who I had high hopes for this year. Very high hopes for Smith-Schuster. And he's been mostly quiet this year. Last couple games, he started to go off a little bit, find his stride. He started to be that big play guy that we saw way back in his rookie year, way back when he was teamed up with Antonio Brown. I've been waiting for Smith-Schuster for a long time to prove that he can be a number one receiver in a legitimate offense. We have not seen that to date. But these last couple games, he has 237 total receiving yards, and he's averaging almost 20 yards a catch over the last couple games. This is the guy I wanted to see in this offense. You have Patrick Mahomes. You're not being held back by an over-the-hill Ben Roethlisberger anymore. You're in an offense that has other okay receivers, just good enough to draw enough attention away. And by the way, you've got Travis Kelsey, so you know you're not the full 
the true focal point of the defense. You should be able to take advantage of this and be the big play guy we saw years ago. Smith Schuster looked faster in this game. He looked more confident in this game. He looked like he belongs in this offense, something he has not looked like earlier in the season. So I want to see, can he keep this up? He's got great momentum going into the Chiefs bye week. That is the main guy that I'm going to have my eye on moving forward to see, can you keep this up? Can you prove that you are and you belong as a wide receiver one in this league? Uh, this was Kansas City's third game this year with 40 points or more. Just a reminder for anyone who said that this offense would completely fall apart without Tyreek Hill. I feel like I have to give a weekly reminder of that because there are certain things that are just asinine that people say, and they need to be held accountable for it. The same way they want to uh, hold us accountable for the things that we say on this show. The one thing that I was concerned about is there was another Sky Moore muffed punt. Sky Moore is way down on the receiver depth chart. He was supposed to be a sleeper this year, kind of a rookie that could come back and have an impact on the offense right away. You're not doing that. You have one job right now. Your one job is to be able to field punts. You're failing at it. It cost them the Colts game in large part. He wasn't the only reason they lost, but he was a big reason why. He set the tone in a negative way in that loss to the Colts. It didn't cost him in this game, but Sky Moore either has to take this bye week to learn how to catch punts or no longer be the punt return. That's a weakness right now for Kansas City, and it shouldn't be. Uh, give Frank Clark a quick shout-out. He got a sack for a safety in this game, and he beat Trent Williams in a way that I don't see Trent Williams get beat. So Frank Clark, I mean, that was a reminder that that guy's a monster. Then on the other side of the line, Chris Jones had a sack in this game where he literally, there was no move. He literally just took the right tackle, McGlinchey, and just pushed him back into Garoppolo's lap all the way from the, from the tackle position. So this Chiefs, um, front seven at least, is dangerous. They need to get healthy in the secondary. They, those back-end players are going to have to grow up in a hurry. They're inexperienced largely. Uh, they made some plays in this game. Uh, Joshua Williams made a big play in this game. Uh, again, a guy who was picked on a week before. But, uh, yeah, these, these rookies and youngsters in the secondary for Kansas City are going to have to grow up in a hurry. But this was a big step in the right direction for them. Uh, as for San Francisco, again, we just talk about, uh, I don't know what's going on out west. But out of the eight teams out west, I'm talking NFC and AFC, the Chiefs are doing what they're supposed to do. The Seahawks are a pleasant surprise. Where is everybody else? I mean, you're, you're welcome to join the season whenever you want. I mean, the 49ers, at least they, they have the injury concerns on defense, and they can point to that for, for part of it. But, you know, we kept hearing Jimmy Garoppolo's the, the, the key. We kept hearing he makes this team more dangerous. This, this team is a bigger threat now that Trey Lance is hurt. That, that narrative was around week two, week three. Where's that narrative right now? This team doesn't look more dangerous with, with Jimmy Garoppolo to me right now. And Jimmy Garoppolo has got a history of, again, winning games. I talked about this with the comparison to Taylor Heineke. He wins games even when he does things that are losing type things. But he's been a galvanizer in that locker room with that team. How long does that last with these subpar performances? When you have plenty of weapons around you. Now you have Christian McCaffrey. And McCaffrey seemed to fit in seamlessly he didn't get a full workload but when he was in there he had some nice runs where he was carping and getting eight ten yards at a time 
you've got weapons everywhere you look now. If you're Jimmy Garoppolo, you got to start making things happen. And against a Chiefs defense where everybody says they're the weak link, their secondary is the weak link, and you couldn't really take advantage of it, you got to be better. You were supposed to be the difference. You were supposed to be the savior this year because, you know, everybody's all, Trey Lance is not ready. It's up to Garoppolo to save this team. Go out there and do it. You didn't do it now. You better do it next week against the Rams because somebody in that division that was supposed to win that division, somebody in that division who was supposed to make a run in the playoffs is going to be 3-5 and five next week. San Francisco 49er fans, I'm going to hit you with a little Aaron Rodgers. Relax, relax. Y'all got lots of injuries. If y'all can get healthy, and I think if you get a 6-5 seed, 6 seed, 7 seed into the playoffs, no one's going to want to see you in the playoffs if you're healthy. Uh, it's Jimmy Garoppolo has proven that he can get y'all to a championship game, get you to a Super Bowl. Um, again, not saying that he is the reason you're getting to those games, but he's proven that he can hold on to the ball, not make costly mistakes when the games matter. Um, this game, though, Christian McCaffrey was in the building for like two days. Um, you know, there really was no game plan for him yet. I know they said he was on the plane reading the playbook and blah, blah, blah. I don't care. He's gonna. It's going to take a few weeks for him to get acclimated. He's a great player if he's healthy. Um, you can tell him to go run and catch the ball. People can do that. But I'm just saying, until he can actually get into the scheme, just give it some time. Um, Kansas City is one of the best teams in the NFL. So can't be too mad about this result. Um, you have a lot of injuries on defense still. I know you got some guys back, but it, it, well, it's not enough when you're going up against um, after a loss, too, because they lost to the Bills. So Kansas City was coming out with something to prove. I think y'all getting CMC and all the hype being around your team now did not did not help you in this situation because don't play Patrick Mahomes when he has something to prove. Uh, it's never a good day for the other side of the ball because – Guess what? He had it here for a whole week. Has Josh Allen overtaken Patrick Mahomes as the best quarterback? Has the Bills proven they're the best team in the AFC? <clears throat> Let's remember, Patrick Mahomes has been to a Super Bowl. Two. Patrick Mahomes has one Super Bowl MVP. Patrick Mahomes has one MVP. Let's pump the brakes on all of the stuff, guys. Um, San Francisco, I think you're going to be fine. I think you're, the, you're one of the best teams in the NFC. Your record doesn't show that right now. I think if... And this is a big if because the NFL is all about health and how you guys can play together. I think if your team can get healthy, especially on that defensive side, because that is your strongest side, even though your offensive side, if you had a different quarterback, in my opinion, has amazing playmakers. I need Kyle Shanahan or whoever's calling that offense because it kind of looks like the coach that's down in Miami right now is the mastermind behind that offense. Let's just be real. Um, Kyle Shanahan, I need you to stop being so passive on passing. I understand your your bread and butter has been your run game, your coaching career, but you have George Kittle, you have Brandon Ayuk, you have Debo, and now you have CMC. So there's literally no excuses as to why you're not pushing the ball down the field. And I get you've been winning a lot of games and you have a great winning percentage by your what you've been doing with defense, bail us out. Offense, do enough to get us some points and win games. I think it's time. What do you have to lose? You lost your 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 quarterback of the future. And you have Jimmy Garoppolo on a one-year deal. 
What do you have to lose? If you're not going to bring Jimmy Garoppolo back next year anyway, let them in. Who cares if he throws for 6,000 yards, which isn't going to happen? I'm just saying, who cares, though? There's nothing that should be holding you to, to being so, so timid with your play calling. I don't know how else to describe it, Julius. It's just... I always feel like they're going to let Jimmy let it loose, and then they never do. And, like, I don't know if that's the play call. I just don't know if that's Jimmy G. I feel like, as a quarterback, I would love to be able to to drop back and let it loose to those guys and let them make plays. But, like, you'll see it maybe for, like, a drive or two, and then they go back to handoff, handoff, try to do a long third-down conversion. Handoff, handoff. And it's just like you saw it with Atlanta in the Super Bowl. A lot of people were disappointed in Kyle Shanahan's play calling in that game. Like, don't be so passive – be a little bit more aggressive. I'm not saying you have to go balls out throwing 50 times a game, but let's get a little more aggressive with the play calling. Moving on to Kansas City, Andy Reid is a mastermind at getting guys the ball in space and where they need to get it. Juju Smith-Schuster had a really nice game, and he made some contested catches in this game, which was nice to see. It looked like Juju with A.B. back in the Pittsburgh days with Ben Roethlisberger throwing to him, so... Uh, not as if it, not as ex, as explosive as Juju, but it did look like kind of like the guy that people thought could take over the number one receiver position in Pittsburgh when they let AB go. Um, Patrick Mahomes just always every time you watch him just does something that makes you scratch your head or go, man, this guy really is like the Steph Curry of the NFL. Like he is changing the game and changing that position. For so many years, the quarterback position was played one way. And then Patrick McCombs comes out and just keeps doing stuff that you're just like, what else can a quarterback do? Um, the defense for Kansas City has surprised me this year. Uh, the secondary has been suspect, but that front seven has made up for it by the amount of pressure they get on the opposing quarterbacks, by being able to stop the run. Um they have covered up for their crappy secondary. If if anyone thinks their secondary is actually good, it's it's really not that good. Not saying that they're the players they have back there are bad. They're just young, inexperienced, and they do get beat on certain plays. But the fact that you're getting safeties and sacks and Trent Williams is getting beat, that's going to make your secondary look good. That's all I got to say about that. I mean... Again, I was one of the ones who was very concerned about their defense, but guess what? If you're putting up 44 points a game, the defense doesn't really matter. So, um, the couple games that Kansas City have lost this year, they kind of beat themselves. Uh, If we're being honest about both those games, they definitely beat themselves against the Colts. There's no reason the Colts should have beat them. And then against the Bills, there were some... Patrick Mahomes made some uncharacteristic throws. Uh, the one pick he threw was kind of under duress and just trying to get the ball out. I think he just tried to just force it when he shouldn't have, which you don't see too often from from Mahomes. But, again, this team is going to be in the thick of things come January. I'm sure we'll see at least one playoff game in Kansas City, if not two. Um, and, yeah, so, you know, again, don't piss off the Chiefs and don't don't play them after a bad loss where people are talking about Mahomes, Danny Reed, and is this offense worse than last year? I don't know if anyone saw the the graphic, but they have more big plays this year than they did all of last year. So, just to give you a little context about all this, Tyreek Hill's going to stop the big plays on this team. As uh-huh. Julius and I talked about in our preseason episode, 
Tyreek Hill is lightning in a bottle. You get him the ball on a slant route, you get him the ball on a bubble screen, he can take it 90 yards to the house. Off his routes were not fly routes. I don't know what y'all were watching. Y'all must have just seen, like Patrick Mahomes does a lot of scrambling around too, and that's how Tyreek Hill would do like these routes where he would run like an out route then cut it back to the inside and pop it up, and Mahomes would just have 15 seconds to throw it to him. But those were not designed routes. A lot of their routes were backyard football, broken down plays type routes. And Tyreek Hill is just a great receiver. You have a great receiver and a great quarterback, those things are going to happen. Look at what's happening down in Miami. He had Skyler, whatever his name is, thrown to him. And he still went for 150 yards. Like, he's just a great player. So, again, I don't know what y'all were watching, but it wasn't all fly routes with Tyreek Hill. Moving on to the Sunday night game, it was Pittsburgh Steelers at the Miami Dolphins. I'm blowing the whistle on Tua himself. Yep, yep. Listen, Tua, I know you did not call the quarterback sweep. I know you didn't, but I need you to not run headfirst into people. Look, I get it. You're competitive. You want to be on the field. You don't need to prove that you're a man to me. We, You're good. Like, just slide. Just slide. There was too, too many headfirst challenges on run plays by Tua for my yeah. for my liking. Yeah. Yeah. Um absolutely. You know, people might say he was cleared by the doctors and you're not a doctor and stop trying to be a Monday morning doctor. I'm not trying to be a doctor. I don't care what y'all think my credentials are. I'm a human being. I saw some dude lock up, reminded me of Javid Best. For those of you who don't know who Javid Best is, it's because his career was ruined by concussions. There's too many players that could be great. We never know. And their lives are kind of ruined because of concussions, because of brain injuries. Don't understand what people think about that. I'm not, I'm not, I picked the Dolphins to do good this year. I picked Tua to have a breakout season. If anyone wants to see Tua do good, it's me. But I also want to see this man be able to live past 45 years old. I want to see him be able to do whatever he wants to do after his NFL days are over. That's just being a compassionate human being. If y'all don't understand that, that's not my problem. That's on y'all. I I don't I'm not trying to be a doctor. He got cleared to play. I'm fine with him playing. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying the doctors aren't doing their jobs. I think they went overboard because of what happened on that Thursday night game. I think they were like, if Tua plays, we're gonna show that 37 people independently checked him out from the NFL and cleared him. And that's pretty much what happened. I want the NFL because their concussion protocol is garbage and they don't care about their players. I want them to be consistent. You know how many offense and defensive linemen I've seen get up, shake their heads, kind of stumble back to the to the huddles, and they don't get pulled out by the people who are supposed to be checking for concussions? Did y'all see when T. Higgins got blown up in the face and they let him back on the field? In that Jets game, Jets-Cincinnati game? So that was a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying, I see way too many. Yeah, how many? What about that hit from the Dallas dude where he slammed the guy pretty much on his head, did like a suplex? They didn't pull him out of the game and say, let me check your head out. And guess what? That was a thousand times worse than the Tom Brady hit, and Tom Brady got rough in the passer. So I'm just saying, for me, I like consistency. I don't like, oh, it's a quarterback. You can't touch him. No, this person has a helmet and pads on. They're playing football. This is what they signed up for. If you want low hits to be out of the game, I'm fine with that. Let's stop, let's stop letting people... Destroy people's knees. Okay, let's take it out for everybody. 
You're not supposed to be able to block low. How many missed calls do they not call on people chopping at the knees these days? That's why Kayvon Thibodeau had to sit a few weeks. Which, did anybody see him hawk down Travis Etienne on that on that play? Beast. Mm-hmm. So I'm just saying, I need consistency. That's what I am. That's who I am. I need consistency. If it's if it's unnecessary roughness for someone to slam somebody, then everyone who slams somebody should get unnecessary roughness. If it's not, then it's not. I personally don't think that that play was unnecessary roughness on Dallas, but I know a lot of people who did. <clears throat> Again, because the NFL is not consistent. They're all over the place with all their rulings. How many running backs lower their head to truck someone and they literally hit their helmets, helmet to helmet? That's supposed to be an automatic, come out of the game, let me look at you, see if you have a concussion. How many running backs just run back to the huddle and just play a play? I'm just saying that there's no consistency. And I'm not saying that that's right or wrong. Someone should be able to run over somebody. But if you're telling me that if two helmets collide with each other, you're supposed to check the person out, then do it. That's all I care about. Just be consistent. Don't say, oh, because a quarterback on primetime got his body locked up in a nasty injury. We care about our players. Because you don't. Kenny Pickett had a concussion. No one heard about him in the media at all. Besides that, he cleared concussion protocols. Why? It wasn't a nationally televised game. And there's not videos of this man being wheeled out of the stadium. That's all they care about. Optics. That's That's all the NFL cares about. Sorry, went off on my tangent there. I'll get back to the game, but the game wasn't much better. 16-10. Miami came out. Tua looked good in the first three drives. They got points all three drives, and then it came crashing to a sudden halt. Um, looked like a guy who hasn't played in about three weeks and coming off of a brain injury. Uh, he had some really poor throws in this game. Some were high. Some were behind his players. He looked out of sync. Looked like he needed to. But again, that's going to come back with time and with practice reps and all that good stuff. Um, luckily, they got to play the Steelers. Um, Steelers could have had like seven interceptions in this game. Could have said the same thing about the Packers. But again, sometimes when you're just riding a good story or you know someone's come back and you just have good luck on your side, those things are not going to be interceptions. Uh, George Pickens made another crazy catch in this game. He is going to be a beast. Can't believe so many people pass on him because of an injury. Um, Because a lot of teams passed on drafting that guy. And he was a beast at Georgia. And he is now getting a nice little rapport with Pickett. And it looks like that's going to become his favorite target. Um, Raheem Mostert finally kind of broke out a little bit in this game. Um, Jalen Waddell, Tyreek Hill, that's that's a vicious duo. Uh, Tua couldn't really do much, like I said, after those first three drives, but those guys, uh, they just look better when Tua's on the field. The whole offense just looks better, even Sherfield. Like, the, you, like you said, you just tell when someone commands an offense, and Tua does that with Miami's offense. It's just The offense, even though they kind of sputtered after those first three drives, like at least it still looked like a team that believed they would convert on a three, third and 11, a team that believed they got the ball, they might go and get some points. Uh, and, and, you know... Again, this was a good game for him to come back. It was against a team that's not playing very well. Uh, the defense hasn't been playing that well. There's a lot of injuries on that side of the ball. Um, <clears throat> Pittsburgh squandered a lot of opportunities in this game. They could have won this game easily because of the way Miami was playing. I'm blowing the whistle on Miami for not kicking a field goal and going up by nine points instead of going in for fourth and one. I don't think y'all understand how much I hate coaches going forward on fourth and one, fourth and two, fourth and three when it's not needed. You literally decided to keep a game, a one-possession game, 
instead of going up by two possessions. You kick the field goal. If your kicker makes it, it's 19-10. to 10. They have to score twice. There's no three-point conversion. But instead you go, the analytics tell me to go for this. Let me go for it on fourth down. No, dummy. Go up by two possessions. It's impossible to beat you without scoring twice. Again, Pittsburgh had opportunities to win this game. They just squandered them because they're a bad team. Julius talked about it earlier. Bad teams find ways to lose. Good teams find ways to win these types of games. And Miami won this game. So glad to is back. Glad it doesn't look like he re-injured his brain in this game, even though there were some cringeworthy moments for me with him going headfirst into stuff. Um, hopefully Miami gets healthy because they're actually an exciting team to watch whenever that team is at full health. So, yeah, you actually took the word singular right out of my mouth, and that was cringeworthy. It was tough. Just to somebody, I, I don't know Tua Tagovailo. I don't have any investment in him or anything like that. Just again, like you said, as a human being, it was scary to watch him go head first into multiple defenders throughout the course of this game, knowing what he's been through recent weeks. And if you didn't know what he's been through, they kept showing it uh, before and during the broadcast. And they made sure you knew what was going on with him in recent weeks. And to have that uh, just stark reminder of what happened to him again within the last few weeks and to see him going head first at people, I mean, I get competitive instinct. But uh, it was just, I held my breath every time uh, he did that. And unfortunately, like you said, it seems like he came through relatively unscathed. I will say this, uh, I don't want to get too caught up on the concussion thing, but I think that at some point the league has to make it mandatory that if you're diagnosed with a concussion or you enter concussion protocol, that you have to miss at least one game. And I talked about how last week Chris Olave did actually practice in full on a Friday, he practiced like a guy who was going to play. And then last Sunday, Chris Olave did not play. And I think moving forward, and I know some players are going to get pissed off about it because the players want to be on the field. They want to you know, have that moment to shine. They want to make money if they're in that contract year. But for their own good, I just feel like they need to be held out for a week. Kenny Pickett played in this game after being concussed last week, did not miss a game. I think we're at a point now where, you, you, it should be mandatory because the teams aren't going to protect these players. The players aren't going to protect themselves. Somebody has to step in. Some neutral party has to step in and say, you know what? We have got to watch out. Somebody has to watch out for these players, and especially when it comes to concussion. So I just, I'd just i like to see a rule change where if a player is diagnosed with a concussion and they have to enter concussion protocol, it's one thing for them to be tested. But if you're officially in the protocol, you've officially been diagnosed I'd like to see you miss a game just for your own good. Uh, getting into the game itself, again, this is another example of good teams find ways to win, bad teams find ways to lose. And the reason I say that is Miami's a 4-0 team when Tua starts and finishes a game. So Miami with Tua, good team. Pittsburgh with anybody at quarterback right now, bad team. The difference in this game, both quarterbacks, Quarterbacks, Tua Tagovailoa and Kenny Pickett were loose with the football. The difference is the Dolphins caught Pickett's mistakes. The Steelers did not catch Tagovailoa's mistakes. That was the difference in the game. Now, Pickett throws three picks in this game. Tua could have easily matched that. But uh, one team was opportunistic. The other team was not. Another team let opportunities go right to their fingertips, literally. And, you know, again, that's what makes the difference in the game. Turnover margin, most important stat 
in football. So if one team is taking advantage of opportunities to get turnovers, the other is not, it's easy to figure out who's probably going to win. And that was, again, the difference in this game. Uh, the beginning of this game, you touched on it. The first position of the game, Tua looked like he had never missed a game. I mean, they just went seamlessly down the field, no problem, easy money, touchdown, let's go. I thought after the first couple of possessions, this was a game where the Dolphins could score 40 points. And to see this game end 16 to 10, and they're going into the half 16 to 10, it was just shocking to see, like I said, just everything came to a screeching halt. And Miami just had to hang on for this game. And going to your point about that fourth down where they should have just kicked a field goal, I'm with you 100%. Um, my problem is this. One, I, I've said plenty of times the analytics are really kicking these coaches behind. And I'll clean it up for the podcast. But, yeah, the analytics are, are kicking the coaches behind. I can't even fully blame analytics on this one. When they showed the analytics for, for this probability, the probability of them winning, had they converted that fourth and one, went up like 1%. Kick the field goal. If you, you know, what is the difference between a 69% win probability and a 70%? Like, that, that's what made you decide to go for it? Now, the thing that irks me even more, see, for me, it's one thing for you to go for fourth and one, but I'll wait to see what you actually call before I start blowing the whistle. You have Tyreek Hill. You have Jalen Waddle. Patrick mentioned Raheem Mostert. He's your best running back. Why on fourth and one does Chase Edmonds get the ball? you got to get the ball in the hands of your best players on fourth down. One of your best players. At least your best running back. I mean, I just don't understand how Chase Edmonds, any other time, Chase Edmonds only touched the ball. He, got, he had seven carries in this game. Two of those carries were back-to-back because -back they had a third and one before they had that fourth and one, and they gave them all to Chase Edmonds. You just saw 30 seconds ago that Chase Edmonds is not going to get this one yard. Why would you run it again? <laughs> I, don't, I don't understand this. Why repeat failure? I, I, I just I can't understand it. The rest of the game, Chase Edmonds basically wasn't used. When you needed a first down, that's when you decide, oh, we can put the game away. Let's get the ball to Chase Edmonds. Why? He's been phased out. If you look at how he was used going back to the first couple of weeks of the season to how he's been used the last couple of weeks, you phased him out of the offense pretty much to be a slight complimentary piece. Why is he getting the ball in that situation? That's what I have a bigger problem with, even more so than the decision itself to go on fourth down. So, yeah, I have to say that. Uh, as for Kenny Pickett, the struggles are, are real right now. Um, I'm starting to feel bad for Kenny Pickett because – he really does look right now like a guy who he's got the confidence, but he's just not ready. And you're talking about a guy right now who's sitting at two touchdowns and seven interceptions. He's stepped in and he already has the worst touchdown to interception ratio in the league. And you can't pull him out now. We talked about that before. Once you made the decision to go away from Trubisky, that was a permanent decision. That's why, again, I was hoping that, the Steelers would hold off because Pickett wasn't ready. And I'm sorry, I could not help but to look at the schedule. And you brought him in to face Buffalo, the number one team in a lot of people's minds. Then you have to go down to Miami. And again, Miami hasn't lost with two in the lineup when he's finished games. And next week, you play the Eagles. Good luck going to Philadelphia and being the first team to beat them this year. I, I just feel like it shouldn't matter 
in some people's mind, it matters to me. I would have gave my quarterback, my rookie quarterback, who I hope to, I hope he's the starting quarterback for the next 10, 15 years for this team. I don't want to destroy him in three weeks by putting him against that schedule when I know we are, we are, we, we, we can't handle that. We cannot handle it. We, no matter who our quarterback is right now, we're not going to win those games most likely. And by the way, you, you threw Tampa Bay in there as well. And, and that's, again, Tampa Bay might be struggling, but you know that defense is great. So you ask Kenny Pickett to come in right away and face Buffalo, Tampa Bay, Miami, and Philadelphia. Four of the best teams on paper, certainly four of the best defenses you're going to face all year. I, I just don't like the decision. I said it at the time. I don't like the timing of the quarterback switch. You brought in Trubisky, as far as I'm concerned, to be the sacrificial lamb for this kind of a stretch. And I, I just get concerned that by the time Kenny Pickett gets out of this, you may have ruined him a bit moving, moving forward. Now, one of those interceptions was Javon Holland. I just want to shout him out because I've talked about him before. Again, I talk about safety being the most important position. I'm going to keep harping on that. Javon Holland makes a play, and again, I've talked about how he is one of my absolute favorite ball hawks in football. The interception he made this game should have ended this game, but the Dolphins just in the second half couldn't get anything going on offense, so you gave the Steelers one more chance, and that's when another interception occurred. Uh, shout out to Noah Igbenogany. He was picked on somewhat in this game, um, you know, with Xavier Howard kind of locking down the other side of the field. Uh, Igbenogany was the target on a lot of throws. Uh, he got, got beat on some throws. But uh, last play of the game, that mattered. Uh, Igbenajane came through and got his first career interception. So I give him credit for that. Uh, the last thing I want to talk about is just uh, Najee Harris. Uh, he hurt his foot early in the season. He's, he's dealt with injuries coming into the season. He just doesn't look like himself this year. Six out of seven games this year, Najee Harris has averaged under four yards of carry. And you know, you can say some of that is the offensive line, but there's been zero explosiveness. And Jalen Warren, albeit in a very, very, very complimentary role, Jalen Warren has had some explosive plays behind that same offensive line. So I can't say it's just the offensive line. Daniel Jones has more rushing yards this year than Najee Harris. And Najee Harris hasn't missed a game this year. I, I don't know if it's time to miss a game or two. I don't know what's going on there, but... Uh, he's been largely ineffective, and again, with Kenny Pickett having his struggles, with Kenny Pickett looking overmatched in so many of these games, and again, he's going to look overmatched again next week against a rested Eagles team, you need Najee Harris to take some of the pressure off the quarterback, and right now, that's just not happening at all. So there's major, major concern for Pittsburgh moving forward, and again, we love Mike Tomlin. We talked about how if anybody can keep this thing halfway afloat, it might be him. Uh, things could fall apart in a hurry with the Steelers. Uh, I hate to say that because you don't like to see that for Mike Tomlin, but it's, it's getting late early for them. Going into the Monday night game, and you know, I talked about how shocked I was about the Carolina Tampa Bay result. I am equally as shocked with tonight's result. The Chicago Bears, who normally take a month to score 33 points, Going to Foxborough and beat the Patriots 33 to 14. This game just caught me off guard. It started off kind of the way I thought it would. It was kind of a little back and forth. Um, I thought the Patriots would kind of shut down the Bears almost completely in this game. So I was surprised to see the Bears move the ball some, but 
the offense was still a bit erratic, which you'll come to expect for the Bears this year. Uh, McCorkle Jones back in the lineup, which was a somewhat controversial, at least debated decision to, uh, to, to bring McCorkle back in the starting lineup. And McCorkle played like a guy who, A, wanted to prove he was healthy. He ran way more aggressively than I'm used to seeing him run. It was like he was trying to prove, hey, I'm here, I'm good, my ankle's fine. And at the same time, he played uneasy. He played like a guy who knew, boy, if I don't play perfect football, the coach already said before the game, Jones is a starter, but expect to see both quarterbacks. So you already come to this game knowing, if I'm not perfect, I'm coming out. And if I come out as a quarterback, it's one thing to come out as a running back or receiver, a corner, whatever, as, as one of those other positions, you can come out and come back in. If you're the if you're the quarterback, if you come out, there's a chance you stay out. And you can kind of just feel that McCorkle was looking over his shoulder, not playing good football. And, you know, when I talked about terrible uh, touchdown-interception ratios, uh, McCorkle's up there as well. So this it's not like he was been, he was playing great before he got hurt, but he, he played like somebody who, oh, I need this. I need to stay in his lineup. And uh, he threw a terrible interception, and, and you knew it was coming. I mean, the fans took about two plays from scrimmage to, to turn on McCorkle for good. And all of a sudden, it was back to Zappy out. And, you know, I talked about how, you know, guys just step up. When, when, the, when the popular guy comes in the game, and right now the, the guy at the moment is – Bailey Zappi. He comes in the game, and all of a sudden, you see an amazing catch uh, from uh, Jacoby Myers. Oh, he was wide open, but still had to make an amazing catch. Then he had to get up and dive into the end zone. An amazing play all the way around. Uh, and then you see the next possession, Devontae Parker make an amazing contested catch. These are the catches where you feel like, had that been Jones throwing the ball, just the way things are going, they would have been incompletions. But the receivers step up for Bailey Zappi. Again, just uh, one of those things. The popular quarterback gets the benefit of all this. Um, but eventually the clock struck midnight. And you see, this is my problem with people. And I said this about Cooper Rush and some others. There are too many people who have never watched Western Kentucky play football in their lives. There are too many people who have never watched Houston Baptist play football in their lives who are trying to tell you about how great Bailey Zappi is. And I said last week, give it time. Learn your lesson at some point. At some point, you start to see, and I, and I said this about Cooper Rush, I said this about Jacoby Brissett, at some point, you start to see, it may not be in the first game or two, you start to see why backup quarterbacks are backups when you give them extended time to start. And Billy Zappi didn't even have extended time to start. He just had extended time to play. Zappi comes in, the offense is moving, humming, and all of a sudden, you know, in a half of football, Billy Zappi's anointed, happy, Zappi hour has turned into zappy year and then all of a sudden you realize this is still belly zappy this is still a guy who does not have great physical tools you give him credit for at least for the most part making the right plays knowing where to go to football on all day all that good stuff you say about quarterbacks who are underwhelming from a physical perspective all of a sudden the turnovers start coming and i will blow the whistle because there was one one of the turnovers was a fumble on a handoff to jacoby myers and i talked about this with the handoff to malik willis in the titans game Stop trying to hand the ball off with these jet sweeps to guys who aren't used to taking handoffs. And I, I don't know who's calling that play. Bill Belichick should have vetoed that. Stop doing it. But then Zappy comes in, throws a couple of interceptions. Two 
the two guys, when the, when the Bears had other needs in the draft, they decided to draft defensive backs. They drafted Kyler Gordon, who I've highlighted. Kyler Gordon, who's been picked on at times this year. He got an interception. He should have had a pick six, but Tyquan Thornton's just so darn fast. Just, just easily walked him down. And Jaquan Brisker got an interception in this game. Jaquan Brisker, safety, most important position in football, making a difference in the game. A beautiful one-handed interception, by the way. Uh, yeah, now that interception was off Jones. But, yeah, with Zappi, you, you, you saw the night and day. And as that happened, the Bears just pulled away. And the thing is, the Bears pulled away in this game with field goals. That's when you know your offense is falling apart. Field goals should not cause you to fall way behind. Field goals are supposed to cause you to lose eventually, especially when you're having a bunch of short fields to work with and you're not taking full advantage. But no, that, that didn't happen in this game. Uh, one thing I did notice in this game, I'm not sure if Vilas Jones was active or not tonight, but I saw that he was not returning punts, and I talked about him and his inability to catch punts, which is not a good thing. They had Dante Pettis back there. He dropped the punt tonight. So Bears and punt returning continue to be a problem. Pettis didn't lose his muffed punt, and he was able to get it back and actually run with it, but still something to keep an eye on, the inability of this team to handle punts. But uh, overall, this is a surprising game. Uh, no matter how they get 33, it's shocking to see the Bears put 33 on the board. If I was 33, considering the Bears kneeled on fourth down inside the five when they could have chased 40 points, but they, they decided to go the sportsmanship route. Otherwise, they, they could have had 40. And that's something I never thought I'd say about this Bears offense, but it was with a lot of help from the Patriots. Uh, so my takeaway tonight is, you know, Literally two hours ago, everybody was ready to move on from McCorkle. Who I've, I've never been too high on McCorkle, but I've always said he'll be decent. But, you know, everybody wanted to make penalties after the next big thing. I said it last week, and I'll say it again. Let's pump the brakes on Bailey Zappi, because the longer you see him play, the more you start to see some of those warts that remind you, hey, this is why this guy was picked in the fourth round. This is why this guy was at Western Kentucky and not a larger school or Houston Baptist before that. You start seeing all that, the more you see him play. So, Let's have Bailey Zappi have, I don't know, a six-game run where he's playing well before we start giving him the job and acting like he's the next franchise quarterback in New England. Bailey Zappi was the next Tom Brady until he wasn't. Um, for some reason, for NFL fans, the backup quarterback position, unless you are Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers, uh, is like the most celebrated and loved position in the entire sport. Because a guy like Taylor Heineke can come in, get you three or four wins. You make the playoffs because your division is awful. Almost almost beat the Buccaneers, but you don't. You don't win the playoff game. But just because you almost beat them, everyone's like, this guy is the next franchise quarterback. No, he's not. Uh, Bailey Zappi, again, young quarterback. We don't know what he's going to be in the NFL because... No one saw Tom Brady's run coming. There's not a single analyst that was like, Tom Brady's going to become a seven-time Super Bowl winner franchise quarterback. No one saw it coming. I'm not going to sit here and tell you I know what Bailey Zappi's going to be. But he came in, gave them a boost of energy, got them the lead at 14-10. They, they were literally losing 10-0. Zappi comes in, two touchdown drives. You could tell the energy on the team was just up. And then the Bears said, we're just going to run it down your throats until you lose. Bears had 243 yards rushing tonight. 37 minutes. Of attention, Packers. <laughs> 37 <laughs> minutes of possession. 
you know what New England doesn't want to do? Even if Mac Jones is playing quarterback, they don't want to rely on their quarterbacks to have to run a fast offense. They do not want to do that. They want to do what the Bears did, run it and have our defense win the game. New England also had four turnovers in this game. New England Patriots are not winning games with four turnovers. I can tell you that right now. Their offense is not explosive enough to come back from a four-turnover game. Uh, just watching the game, they didn't. I don't think they had double-digit first downs. New England, they may have barely, but uh, they, they were they, they were not moving the ball. Um, the one thing about the Bears, I will say this: Justin Fields needs to learn how to throw the ball away. <clears throat> don't get me wrong; his athleticism got them some third and eleven conversions that no other quarterback is probably making that conversion. You know, maybe Lamar Jackson. Because he's faster than Fields. But that guy really needs... He took some unnecessary sacks that put them in some bad positions. um, Because he's always trying to make a play. Which I get. He's young. He's athletic. You can do that. But sometimes you just need to know, throw the ball away. It's... I don't want to make this 4th and 30. I will take the 4th and 11 and punt this thing away. So... um, but other than that, Justin Fields pretty much played a good game tonight for Justin Fields' standards. They only threw it 21 times. Their yards per pass was five, which is typical Bears <laughs> football. Um, but again, they ran it 45 times. Uh, Joyce Lou to the knee within the red zone. Um, but 243 yards rushing, that's going to win you a lot of games when you can do that, especially when you win the turnover battle. You only had one. Uh, they had four. You know, so again, you win the time possession. You can just run it down a team's throat. You're going to win a lot of games. Uh, shockingly, shockingly to me at least, the Bears are three and four. They have the same record as the Packers. <laughs> if you would have told me that at the beginning of this NFL season, I would have laughed at your face. So the real winner in this scenario is the Minnesota Vikings because the Packers lost, the Vikings were on by, did not lose, did not win, and they're just sitting atop their throne at the NFC North right now. Um, Bill Belichick and the Patriots have a lot of things they need to figure out because you can't start Mac Jones and he have three bad drives and you pull him out of the game again. Either make Zappy your starter for the rest of the year or say, we're going to start Zappy until our bye week to give... Mac Jones some more time to heal or say Mac Jones is our starting quarterback. This isn't college. You can't run a dual quarterback system. It's ridiculous. Pick somebody. Again, you drafted Zappy where you drafted him. He's your backup for a reason. And he wasn't even your backup. Brian Hoyer was a backup until he got hurt. Mm-hmm. He's your third string quarterback. So, Mac Jones, let's not forget he put up 30-plus points against the Ravens. They still lost that game, but at least he was playing well before the injury. So either, again, you spend a first-round pick on this guy, <clears throat> let him play out the season, or do what the Colts are doing and say, F this guy. <laughs> Billy's, Billy's happy as a starter. Just make a decision. You don't see Bill Belichick normally do this as a coach, so it's kind of surprising to see it. Normally smarter than that. Just pick someone, man. Just pick someone and say, this is our guy. Moving around to the sports world, um, NBA season started. I'm not even going to get into the NBA season yet because, once again, four-game 
I don't need to start giving you all analysis four games in, but the season started. I'm excited no, about it. No. Can't wait to watch it, get more in depth on it. Um, you know, again, you can't really. I mean, you can see how teams are playing, and you can say a team's bad, a team's good, but the Jazz up until tonight were undefeated. I don't know if they're going to stay that hot just from who's on their roster, but that's what I'm saying. I'm not going to start overreacting, underreacting to a four-game sample in the NBA, um, but I'm excited that the season started. I'm really excited about the MLB playoffs. Phillies, Astros is going to be the World Series. Somehow the Astros keep making it to the World Series every year, even after they get caught cheating, after they're like George Springer, Carlos Correa, see you later. New guys come in, step up. Kyle Tucker, you know, just coming in, playing good, winning games. It's it's impressive what that team has done over the last eight, nine years. Um, excited for Bryce Harper making a World Series, showing that he was worth that contract and that he is a generational player. You know, Mike Trout kind of gets all the love because he's won a ton of MVPs and he's a sensational player. I'm not saying he's not. But Mike Trout has never had a playoff run that Bryce Harper's having right now. Mike Trout's only been to the playoffs once. So, um, again, I'm not saying Bryce is on Mike Trout's level, but Mike Trout's been injured a lot recently, and Bryce is actually playing this season out. Um, You know, a lot of Nat fans uh, were like, we won the Bryce Harper trade because we got a World Series. Don't get me wrong. Winning a World Championship, so NBA Finals, Super Bowl, World Series... That's amazing. That that not every organization can do that. Not every organization does win the championships. But guess what? You could have had Soto and Harper in the same outfield. But the Nats organization is terrible, and now they're about to be the Pirates and the Reds for the next ten years. Hmm. Like I just don't understand how you think you won losing a generational talent. I just don't understand that. Like I. I get you might not have liked Bryce Harper. You may have thought he was like a douche because of the way he looks, the way he kind of talks, and kind of. You also drafted him as a 19-year-old. What did you expect you were getting? The kid is good. He won an MVP with y'all. He could have won an MVP this year in the National League if he was healthy. He was playing at the MVP level before he got hurt, and now look at him, healthy in the playoffs, having one of the best playoff runs we've ever seen. If you're looking at it from an OPS standpoint, he's fifth all time, all time. You know who's number one? Barry Bonds. No one's going to beat that OPS ever. It was like a 1.6. No one will ever beat that. But he's right there. Willie Stargell, he's right behind. Like, like Hall of Fame names. Barry Bonds should be in the Hall of Fame. I know he's not. He should be. He's one of the greatest players of all time. He had a Hall of Fame career before steroids. So let's just put that into perspective. You don't want to put him in with the Giants, put him in with the, with the, with the Pirates because he had a Hall of Fame career with them. Let's stop acting dumb, MLB. Um even though I know his eligibility is over. So, anyway. But Bryce Harper is having that good of a playoff run. So, again, yes, you may have won a World Series. You may never sniff a World Series again if Bryce Harper wins this World Series. Y'all are tied now. So, who really won the trade? You know what I'm saying? Who really won losing him? Like, at this point, Nats fans should just realize that organization is just shitty. You lost Trey Turner. You lost Juan Soto. You lost Bryce Harper. You lost Anthony Rendon. That was actually a good call. He's turned out to be injury-prone and not good. <laughs> but I'm just saying, Trey Turner, beast. Juan Soto, beast. Bryce Harper, beast. And you don't really have anything to show for it. You promised Juan Soto as the future. We don't need Bryce Harper. Then you let him go anyway. 
You don't give him the contract he wants. Like at some point in time, you you got to realize it wasn't the players; it's the organization lowballing the guys. So, anyway, hope Bryce Harper wins because I'm tired of the Astros. Do not like the Astros. Don't like what they stand for. So I hope the Phillies. I'm not even a Phillies fan, but um, there are some guys on that team that I'm rooting for. Like Bryce is one of them. Uh, he's, if y'all haven't watched baseball all this year, he's this playoff run has been fun to watch, and he had a very clutch two-run home run to send the Padres home. Uh, if you're watching that game, there was a wild pitch that let the Padres go up by one. And if it wasn't for Bryce Harper, they're flying back to San Diego after losing on a wild pitch. So in the MLB, you know, momentum is big. And flying back to San Diego, you don't know what's going to happen in this series. So... He came up real clutch, real, real clutch with that two-run home run. And now they're going to the World Series. I'm excited for it. I can't wait. Um, Playoff baseball is some of the most exciting baseball because in the regular season, if someone makes a bad pitch and someone hits a home run, you really don't care. Every pitch is dissected in the playoffs, and it's it's, it's exciting to watch. I'm going to take a quick moment to say that there was some idiotic talk a year ago about how Mac Jones was teaching Cam Newton a playbook and all this other stuff. And, you know, I just, I just hate when fake narratives that aren't even believable are out there. Because you look a year later, Mac Jones doesn't look like he understands the playbook himself. That's why Bailey Zappi was a thing for an hour tonight. But I just want to throw that out there real quick that, you know, the narratives like that are, are the dangerous kind because they promote way too many stereotypes that I'm not going to get into here. But it was just ridiculous that a rookie who doesn't even look good anymore in year two was teaching somebody who's a former MVP how to understand the playbooks. Stop the nonsense with that. Now let's get into some good stuff. World Series is set, like you said. Astros versus Phillies. Um, Those were my two picks in the LCS series. I said on the last broadcast, I learned my lesson. Stop picking against Philadelphia. I picked against them. Going back to the wild card against St. Louis, I picked against them in the divisional round against Atlanta. Unlike certain teams that we talked about earlier in this podcast, I'm not going to keep making the same mistake too many times. So I stopped picking against Philadelphia, and that worked out for the NLCS. I will throw out there that I'm going to stick with that philosophy and pick the Phillies to win the World Series. I just The way it's going right now, you talked about how momentum can be a thing. The Phillies didn't win nearly as many games. And I talked about in the podcast, they really got in because the Brewers donated the last playoff spot to them. But it's a new season when the postseason starts up. The Phillies have gotten hot. I uh, talked about Bryce Harper. Kyle Schwarber started the postseason terribly. Now all of a sudden, he's the guy, along with Harper, that you don't want to see. <laughs> he's out here hitting nearly 500-foot home runs. Uh, that's a scary left-handed duo in the lineup. Uh, the Astros look like the most dominant team. They've got pitching and everything else. A pretty complete lineup, but and and I'll be honest, I know most of, of the nation is against the Astros. I am rooting for the Astros. I'm picking the Phillies, but I'm rooting for the Astros specifically because of Dusty Baker. Dusty Baker has been around for so long. He's been on the precipice so many times, and I just want to see the man win one ring. And I know it would, ideally it would not come with the Astros because I know what the recent history is and what they've been accused of and everything else, but whatever team had Dusty Baker as the manager, I just want to see him win one championship. So I will be actively and openly rooting for the Astros, but my official pick of the Phillies just because they're just so hot 
And they just look like kind of one of those Team of Destiny stories, especially with Bryce Harper stepping up the way he has. Uh, to get quickly into my thoughts about the league championship series, uh, the American League, uh, non-competitive. As, <laughs> and just, just a shame to see uh, the, the Yankees go down like that. Well, I know a lot of people enjoyed seeing the Yankees go down like that. Let me be clear. Uh, somebody who didn't really care too much about good or bad about the Yankees, uh, you know, I just wanted to see a, a, an extended series. But uh, once they had Garrett Cole go out there in game three and he couldn't deliver a win, uh, you knew this was going to be a wrap. You talked about the Astros and this organization's ability to replace George Springer and Carlos Correa. Uh, Carlos Correa's replacement was Jeremy Pena. Jeremy Pena's the one who hit the 18th inning home run to put the Mariners to bed for good. Jeremy Pena was your American League's championship series MVP. Uh, they they have found a star there, a, a budding star a guy, and I got to give him a lot of respect because Pena started the season off hot, and then he kind of hit that rookie wall, and he has bounced back in a major way in the playoffs. See, he has been a huge piece of what they're doing right now. So a lot of credit to Jeremy Pena. I'm very interested to see him in the World Series, and uh, yeah, just just great for him. Uh, Yankees. They had a chance to win that last game. Jeremy Pena probably should even have had a chance to win that game. Glaber Torres had a chance to start off a double play. That would have got the Yankees out of that situation before Pena even came up and probably would have went a long way towards winning a game in that series. And it's just the way that the series went for the, Astros, for the Yankees. They just one blown opportunity after another and they just, quite frankly, deserve to get swept with the way they didn't execute at the plate and in the field. Uh, Aaron Judge, I listened to his interview right after the game, and everything Aaron Judge said was in past tense. I mean, everything was, you know, it's, it's been a pleasure to play for the Yankees. It's been an honor to wear pinstripes. I never took for granted the opportunity to play for the Yankees, but everything was just in past tense. So it felt to me that uh, Aaron Judge has already moved on. I don't have any inside information. That's just my take on how he was presenting himself. And I'm always one to say people's words matter and people choose their words the way they want to choose. The fact that Aaron Judge said everything in the past tense, he sounds to me like a guy, and I don't know if he already knows where he's going next year, but uh, my money would be on anybody but the Yankees at this point. Uh, over in the National League, I got to blow the whistle. Got to blow the whistle on the Padres. Reason being, you talked about that Bryce Harper two-run home run. The Padres had Josh Hader warming up. Josh Hader, who no one had scored on in this postseason. Josh Hader, who in the postseason had five and a third innings pitch, no runs, and ten strikeouts. Josh Hader, who had regained his all-star form over the last month of the season, including the postseason. Josh Hader who you made a blockbuster move to get at a time when nobody thought you would make that move. Bryce Harper this year, for all there is good to say, for the fact that Bryce Harper was playing at the MVP level before he got hurt this year and has played like an MVP since he got back. Bryce Harper this season has a batting average 46 points lower when he faces left-handed pitch. Bryce Harper has a slugging percentage 126 points lower when he faces left-handers. If you're not going to use Josh Hader in this situation, then why the hell did you trade for? 
to leave Josh Hader in the bullpen with your season on the line against a left-handed batter and to have that decide the series is the dumbest thing I've seen in baseball in a long time. All credit to Bryce Harper because he did hit that home run off of a tough pitcher. I don't want to shortchange Robert Suarez. He's a good pitcher. But you got Josh Hader for that situation and you didn't even give him a chance. That's terrible. The Padres deserve to go home just for that alone. So I just had to throw that out there. Real quick, I never pretend to be a UFC expert. I'm always the one who says when it comes to mixed martial arts, I just like it. I'm not an expert. I don't have a long history with it. It's just something I got into recently, and I just enjoy it. Islam Makayev got a big submission victory over Charles Oliveira. Now, I know enough about MMA to know that if this fight was to end in a submission, if you knew that going in, you would have thought it would have been Oliveira. He is normally the submission guy. He is normally the guy nobody wants to go to the ground against. Islam Makayev had no problem going to the ground, and he got Oliveira to tap out. That was a bit of a shocking moment for me. And all I can say to that is Makayev is friends, real close, tight friends with Khabib Namurgamedov, somebody who, in my limited knowledge, would say greatest MMA fighter I've ever seen. Don't mess with the Khabib trick. That's the lesson I learned. If I, if I learned one thing over the weekend that wasn't football-related, it was don't mess with the Khabib tree. Those guys are just built differently. If you see one of these Russian guys with the, with the beard and no mustache look going, just don't mess with them. <laughs> these, these guys are dominating the UFC right now. Makayev's on a hot streak. Uh, like I said, Khabib, I've literally never seen lose. Uh, so just wanted to give a quick shout-out to them for, for coming through and, and getting that championship on the main card of a great, on the main event of a great UFC fight card. Uh, also, shout out to Al Jermaine Sterling. He picked up a nice win over TJ Dillashaw. And uh, I just want to say, UFC fighters are psychotic. Uh, Dillashaw said after the match that he had popped his shoulder out of place about 20 times preparing for this fight. And then in the fight, his shoulder popped out again. Uh, you got you to be psychotic. There, there's no other word for it. You got to be psychotic to go into an octagon against a world-class champion fighter like Al Jermaine Sterling and have your shoulder not be even stable. And it's not like you can wear a harness in the wing, in the ring, or the octagon, excuse me. So just just insanity, literal insanity. But uh, I like Al Jermaine Sterling. He's one of the more entertaining fighters. Good win for him. Uh, so just wanted to highlight a couple of uh, UFC matches real quick there. Uh, also, Sean O'Malley. He's a guy that's been kind of an underdog a lot of times. You don't expect a pink and purple hair guy. To, to have a great record in mixed martial arts, but O'Malley's beaten a lot of people, some people he wasn't supposed to beat. Uh, he gets another win over Peter John in, uh, this weekend, a split decision, good win for him, and he continues to find a way to climb up the ranks, even though uh, all the analytics and everything else says he probably shouldn't. So I wanted to give him a quick shout-out as well. Uh, just a great, like I said, a great UFC card, highly entertaining, and... Uh, yeah, good times in sports this time of year. Like I said, not much to get into in, with NBA, but I do want to say real quick, the Pacers, I'm not saying they're a great team or anything. I'm just saying Tyrese Halliburton is one of my favorite players. He's going to have a huge season, and Benedict Matherin is my pick for rookie of the year in the NBA. Watch that backcourt for the Pacers. I think it's going to be special for years to come. I don't know what else the Pacers are going to do. They may tank for something else, but those two are guys I'm truly high on. I just want to say their names at the start of the season. If we're talking Pacers, then we're talking Jalen Stick-Smith. He a Terp, baby. <laughs> he a Terp. 
Um, yeah, I just want to shout out some college football as well because that's in full swing right now. Um, if y'all didn't see the Tennessee-Alabama game, don't know how you missed that. That was a huge, huge game. But um, Alabama comes back, takes care of Mississippi State this week, and, and just completely dismantled them. <laughs> no contact. Um, no contact. <laughs> Oregon gave UCLA their first loss, and that was a pretty convincing win for Oregon as well after a really bad start to the season for Oregon. Um, they've bounced back quite nicely. Uh, Bo, Bo Nix was getting a lot of heat for his play the beginning of the season and they have i mean oregon looks legit right but we say i feel like we say that a lot about oregon in college until they get to the bowl game so um but that was a very convincing win against ucla um just georgia just still sitting there at number one just hanging out you know just being georgia yep. um i just gotta give a shout out to my terps they got a win at homecoming without uh leah starting at quarterback that's two as a little brother um Hopefully he can heal up. We got a bye week this week, right before our tough stretch of games. We got P- we got the PSU game, the Penn State game, got the Ohio State game. Uh, if we can get to the Ohio State game, maybe seven and two, um, we might get College Game Day in College Park. And we have never had College Game Day there, so that's what I'm hoping for. That's what I want. Uh, you know, but again, that we're getting our tough stretch of games coming. Uh, hopefully Leah can get healthy and uh, get back out on the field because our offense is definitely way more dynamic and, and a lot scarier when he's playing and he's healthy. So hopefully he can get healthy. Uh, college football, I love it. Uh, like I said, we're getting to the meat of the schedule. We're getting down to the to the end here in college football already, so getting excited. Um, lots, of, lots of conference play. Uh, can't wait for bowl seasons, one of my favorite seasons. Um, and, and, you know, it's, it's, it's going to catch up on us quick. I feel like we're already in week seven of the NFL, man. Like, it, like sports is yep. moving fast this year. So, um, mm-hmm. excited, mm-hmm. excited for, like I said, world series, excited for college football, excited for basketball season. And obviously the NFL season's already given us a bunch of twists and turns. So as always, thanks for listening to the two guys, four balls podcast. If you guys want to reach out uh, and hit us up at the two guys, four balls podcast, um, you know, that's on Facebook, it's on Twitter, Instagram, you can hit us up on any of those platforms. Um, we appreciate y'all listening. If you want to say anything to us, just reach out to us. And we'll be back for week eight uh, analysis next week. So, as always, we appreciate y'all listening to us. Thank you for listening to the Two Guys, Four Balls podcast.